The following episode contains major spoilers for a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition publication. Listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to another episode of Legend Lore, the podcast series where two dungeon masters, one of them me and the other one Dan, apparently. Obviously. Yep. Flip through one Dungeons & Dragons book at a time, giving their insights on the pros and cons of the publication in question. I'm Adam, and with me, like I just said, is Dan. Hi. And today we're going over our thoughts on the Wizards of the Coast product, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I have a bone to pick before we get to this. Okay. Oh god, he's touching his bone. No. You son of a bitch. You have told me, hey Dan. Hey Dan. We're going to do this, you know, Legend Lore series. It's going to be lots of fun. I was totally on board with Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. I did not know that this would include Tasha's. So Tasha's was coming out. I was going to get super excited because it has a bunch of like character stuff that I could do. And you sent me a message saying, hey Dan, I really hope you're staying spoiler free for Tasha's because it's part of the Legend Lore thing. And I got to say, I've had people messaging me saying, hey, what do you think of this oh, path? Oh, fucking Brad is the worst because he got an Brad, on. Brad is the worst one of the bunch. But, uh, I mean, it's Brad. He's yeah. the worst one of the bunch. Of course. Um, I mean, Dave. Brad and Dave. Yeah, well, anyways, I mean, we're, we're not judging based on smell. Yeah. Rega- it's true. Regardless, I have been wanting to look at this book. And then because of the podcast, dear friends out there in podcast land, I hope you understand the sacrifice that I have taken upon myself to not... Take a whiff of Tasha's up until this point. So I'm rigid right now. What do we have in front of us, Adam? Well, let me, I know what you have in front of you, apparently. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So what we have in front of me right now is a... Um, Amazon box. It's an Amazon box because this is a Christmas present from my brother. Oh. Yeah. It's way early, but this is it. So... Thank you, Adam's brother. Yeah. Um, let me just say in the words of Robot Jesus, that's just prime. Because it's Amazon. Get it? Oh, right. All right. So I'm going to open this up. Oh, open in the box. We have not yet laid eyes upon this. I love doing an, uh, an unboxing episode. Yeah, on an audio medium. Audio, yeah. So, sorry <laughs> so this tearing noise is the special Amazon tape that everyone hates. Yeah. So, um, ooh, there's ooh. big bubble wrappy things. Bubble wrappy things. And, then and I got the regular cover of Tasha's. Oh, it's it's smaller than I thought it was. Wow, be. that's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a big Well, this is going to be a level. short episode. Uh, no, it's I not. I fucking doubt it. Um, this is, see, uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Let's roll. I got a natural fucking one. Okay, of course I, I got a six. So I'm going to start off. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, a magical mixture of new rules, options for the world's before we really dive into it, Adam, do you want to explain what the Legend Lore series is about since it's a new thing? Nope. Because I'm just too, <laughs> too fucking excited. Okay, uh, so briefly, I will do it just, just to further cock tease Adam. Um, the Legend Lore series, which is a new one, this is episode two of it, is where we go through and we we break down this book that neither of us have really spent too long into. I know you did that in the opening. I want to impress upon the fact that this is us doing a kind of a first look into them. Um, and it, for two D&D nerds who have every single D&D book, this is a massive, 
Yeah, we're going to do this with, with all the new publications. So. Yeah, yeah. So Dan's going to get cock-blocked repeatedly here. Yay. Um, so Just like Gratz did, because it's Tasha, and it's going to have some Gratz stuff in it, I hope, for the Gratz lore that's involved with Tasha. Yeah, what are we hoping is in this, before I even crack it? Um. Okay, I have tried to stay spoiler-free as I, as I can. Now, I do know that there's new race, uh, sorry, new class options, new game mechanic stuff. There's some breakdowns on, like, Session Zero. I know that stuff is in it. I don't know what it entails. The only thing that I know that's of particular interest to me, because I've had, like, nine people message us, is, did you know that they've got a mimic colony thing in here i'm sorry what i know right so i'm excited to get to okay that. so um what i really want there to be is i want there to be a further flavoring of tasha and what she means to forgotten uh, forgotten realms lore i expect that we're going to get something along the lines of the little uh inserts and excerpts from uh volo mm. and xanathar and more yes yeah so sorry. there's going to be like little things in tasha's voice throughout this which Yes, please. I want to see more of Tasha in D and D. I'm I'm kind of bummed that it's so thin a book. Yeah, but Xanathar's is not a big book either. It is Xanathar's isn't. is twice that size. Oh, it can't be twice that size. Do you want me to go over to my shelf and get Xanathar's, and we'll compare size, Adam? Uh, well, yes. Oh, I'm cracking open the book. Oh, it smells like a new book. I'm one, one second. No, let me compare size. Yeah. Sorry for the mic because I'm standing up next to it. No, they're they're much, like pretty much identical. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, no, we're just used to having uh, campaign modules like well, Rhyme of the Frost. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You could bludgeon a, a horse like middle aged adult with it. Like this. I mean, this wouldn't hurt a toddler. So, um, well, bring one of your kids in. Let's test it out. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, what wonderful witchery is this? The wizard Tasha, whose great works include the spell. Tasha's hideous laughter has gathered bits and bobs of precious lore during her, illust- her illustrious career as an adventurer. Her enemies wouldn't want these treasured secrets scattered across the multiverse. So, in defiance, she's collected and codified these tidbits for the enrichment of us all. So, that's that's fun flavor right there. Get us some witch lore. Baked into... The, yeah, see, Cauldron. Baked into oh. this book. Uh, our I'm surprised rules you didn't options. jump on my witch lore. Witch lore? That lore. <laughs> baked into this book are rules options for all the character classes the player's handbook... <laughs> Including new subclasses. Thrown in for good measure is the Artificer class, a master of magical invention. And this Witch's Brew wouldn't be complete without its new artifacts, spellbook options, spells for both player characters and monsters, magical tattoos, group patrons, and other tasty goodies. Like Eye of Newt. Again, a witch joke. Tasha has never been shy about sharing her keen insights, and this book is sprinkled with the Archmage's uh, musings on everything from her wizardly rivals to the nature of the multiverse. Herein, she offers a taste of the great power that awaits adventurers everywhere. Do you like the title, Cauldron of Everything? I mean, ugh, Tasha's a witch, yay! It, every time that I think about a cauldron, I mean, you think witches with cauldrons, but I always think about the Macbeth witches. Uh, the Macbeth witches are basically the fates. Yeah, but like they're supposed to be over like a cauldron. Like, yeah. Every t- and I don't know why, that's the first thing I come to. Every time I hear cauldron, I think of the fucking rhyme. The bubble, yeah. bubble, toilet trouble. trouble. Cauldron, burn, cal- cauldron burn and cauldron bubble. That is not my version of it. Bubble, bubble, toilet trouble. Oh, toilet trouble. Yep. Yeah, okay. Made a stinking Decker double. God damn. <laughs> All right, I'm going to crack it open. Oh, oh listen to that. Yeah. That's nice. Do it again, but slower. Mm. There's a little flying cauldron on the front page of it. That's cool. Uh, I'm going to do the... Disclaimer and, and the credits page. Yeah, so... Um, 
This book contains some content that originally appeared in Sword Coast Adventures Guide, Guildmaster Guide to Ravnica, Eberron, Rising from the Last War, and Mythic Odysseys of Theros. So it's good that they're bringing in these alternative campaign settings. It's a bit of a compendium book. Yeah, well, I mean, which is what it should be. Uh, I really do like the artwork so far that both of the covers are really nice. Um, the disclaimer. Contained herein are the observations of the Archmage Tasha, later uh, later known as the Witch Queen, and then Igwilv. Witch Queen? Yep. That queen? That queen. Okay. She is one of the greatest wizards in the history of the multiverse. I mean... We, f- we fear there is an incantation hidden within these notes and have therefore bound this tome with powerful wards. If you are reading this, the first ward has already been broken. If you dare read any further, we cannot guarantee the safety of your soul or that you won't open a portal to another plane of existence. If a portal does appear... Pray that nothing worse than Tasha's mother, Baba Yaga, appears. And if the mother of Hags arrives, be sure to offer only praises of her daughter. Or offer muffins. She loves muffins. I would like you to know I had to bite my tongue very many times uh, through that with really bad jokes. Like, um... Which jokes? Oh, haha, those jokes. Um, this <laughs> is going to be a constant thread. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, if it's bound with wards, uh, is Robin here? You know the dick ward? It's Burt Ward. Hey. Oh, Burt Ward. Oh, sorry. Right, it's Dick because he's Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't do jokes on the podcast. That, oh, that's Because <laughs> they're bad. Okay. Here. All right, my turn. I'm going to do the table the contents. of contents. Yep. All right, so first thing you're going to go through is you're going to hit your character options, which is going to have some background things by the title Customizing Your Origin. Um, then we're going to break down some class options for artificers, barbarians, bards, clerics, druids, fighters, monks, paladins, rangers, rogues, sorcerers, warlocks, and wizards. And, by the looks of this, some tasty new feats. Yeah, all right. Mm, I'm on board. That's not my fetish. I'm not, a, I'm not about the feats fetish. You're not a feats fetish? No. Uh, there are group patrons and how they work, um, which look also like organizations not necessarily so the, so the group's patrons are um probably pulled right out of eberron where they have group patrons in there dave and i talk about that in the touring the multiverse episode there's also being your own patron is in this as well that might be a bit of a holdover from or at least inspired by acquisitions incorporated oh possibly yep um then there's uh the magical miscellany so this is where you're going to get a bunch of new spells, including a, a handsome amount of new summoning spells. Um, the, a couple new Tasha's named spells, which is great because up until this point, we've had Tasha's hideous laughter. And that's it. Um, there's uh, creating and personalizing spells and then a bunch of new magic items, including tattoos, uh, books, branches, uh, the demonomicon of Igwilov. Um, and yeah. And then finally, some Dungeon Master tools where it'll go over Session Zero. Thank you for listening to the podcast, Wizards of the Coast. Sponsor us. Yeah. Uh, sidekicks, which look like some uh, useful NPCs to add to yourself. Sure. Um, how to parlay with monsters. Uh, supernatural regions, which is uh, some further realms of and dimensional stuff by the looks of it. Um, fun, magical, environmental threats, some natural threats, puzzles, uh, with some puzzle examples. Cool. I'd hand it back. Thank you, Dan. Uh, using this book, what you'll find within chapter one brims with new features and subclasses. Chapter two contains patrons. Chapter three sparkles with new magical options, including spells, spellbooks, artifacts, and tattoos available both for player and monster use. 
Ooh. And chapter four contains various rules that a DM may incorporate into a campaign. Uh, it says here, it's all optional. Everything in this book is optional. Each group, guided by the DM, decides which of these options, if any, to incorporate into a campaign. They leaned hard and heavy into this in early um, publication in 5th edition. You look at all the variant rules that appear in the three core books. Yeah. And then they seem... Like feats themselves are variant. And they seem to have abandoned that until this. Right? When you start to read all of the stuff that happens in like Curse of Strahd or, you know, the... Uh, well, Rise of Tiamat and stuff. They they tend not to. They're they're not making it. They're not bringing it out into light as much. They've they've said these are optional, but they're not like these are optional. Go no guys, they're optional. Okay, so um, then it's, there's a little um, section here called Unearthed Arcana. Uh, much of the material in this book originally appeared in Unearthed Arcana, a series of online articles we published to explore rules that might officially become part of the game. Some offerings don't end up uh, resonating with fans and are set aside. The Unearthed Arcana material is inspired by options in the following chapters, as well as uh, received and, thanks to feedback from thousands of D&D fans, has been refined into the official forms presented here. Cool. So, it pretty much says the UA shit is now not defunct. Well, the UA shit is never on board unless you have a party that is very willing to deal with some potentially game-breaking mechanics. Yeah, I guess this just means that this is now Adventure League- um, compatible yeah yeah that that tracks uh there's 10 rules to remember i'm not going to read them um the text but here we go using this book includes the following 10 rules one the dm adjudicates the rules yep two exceptions supersede general rules okay three advantage and disadvantage okay four reaction timing okay five proficiency bonus so it gets into that yep six bonus action spells Okay. So that one looks like it just breaks down when you can. I think I think these are rules to remember when looking at this book specifically. So when you're looking at this book, make sure you look at yes. these. Because um, one of the things I'm going to do here, Adam, as we go through is I'm balancing, balancing this against Xanathars. Because this feels... It's very it's, much the next Xanathars. It's this next Xanathars, right? The of everything gives you The that. of everything, yeah. Uh, next is concentration. Okay. Um, temporary hit points. Yep. Uh, it pretty much just says that they aren't cumulative. Yep. Um, round down. Okay. And have fun. Oh, have fun's in there, hey? Yep. Okay. Um, I would like to point out the 10 rules to remember are in Xanathar's as well. Um, except the DM adjudicates the rules is not part of the 10 things to remember. It is its own tab above it. Okay. So, again. What got dropped then? Friends. Well, one second. Friends. The DM adjudicates the rules is the most important rule in D&D. Well, uh, I'd argue that have fun is. Have but. fun, yes. But like when it comes to like the mechanical side of D&D, yeah. like remember the DM is the one who says whether something works or doesn't. Yeah. It, that's just the way it is. Um, yours were in a weird order, but like exceptions supersede general rules. Yeah, that's in here. Round down is next for me. Yeah. Where you round down, advantages, combining different effects is in mine. Yeah, okay. It's not in this one. Which is not in yours, uh, which is about like when you cast bless... Um, and still under the effect of an earlier bless you, that uh, you only gain the one sure, casting yeah, yeah. of it. Stuff like that. Reaction timing is in this, which it was in yours. Yep. As well, I believe. Um, and resistance and vulnerability are mentioned here, which are not in yours. No. Um, so yours had have fun. Mine doesn't. So Tash's is about having fun. 
Xanathar is about getting the fucking game right. Sure. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So oh, there's also a big blurb from Tasha herself talking to you, but I'm going to let the, honestly, you buy the book. That, honestly, buy the book. Look at it. Uh, it's something I've seen in Volos and Mordenkainen's, like the new 5e books where they come out with a blanks guide or blanks something of something. Yeah. Um, it's almost always written in the voice of that main character. Yeah. And I love reading those little tidbits of information uh, there. I mean... This is a big letter to the reader. This is a big is nice. letter yeah. to the reader, which is nice. Okay, so uh, chapter one here, we have character options. Um, it shows a little picture of Tasha who has her pointed witch that hat. That is a big picture. Uh, it is a big picture. Um, it has Tasha with Gratzed in the bottom corner that 100% is Gratzed. Sitting outside of Baba Yaga's hut, reading a book by Fairy Light. Um, so you're you're really getting the flavor here of Tasha. You're getting the flavor of Tasha. Okay, so um, character options straight off the uh, bat. At first level, you choose various aspects to your character, blah, blah, blah. That all tracks. Um, it goes over the basics of ability score increases um, of languages. No, customizing your origin I'm customizing your origin. It's not backgrounds. It. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Customizing your origin isn't backgrounds. It's just telling you what to do when you're starting. Sure. Right. Like when you start a character, here's the things you do. So the origin of your paper sheet. This is where it is. Um, this is useful to have. I felt like that was missing in the player's handbook. Yeah. I mean, yes, it, it makes sense. Um, there's a basically it's breaking down the basic rules of the game. It's kind of like a refresher. For the DMG, you have uh, a breakdown into proficiencies. And I feel like proficiencies is going to be a big fucking deal in this book. And so I'm not surprised they add that. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Some races and sub races grant proficiencies. These provinci- proficiencies are usually cultural and your character may not have. Co- oh, wait a minute, Adam. I'm now understanding this. Customizing your origin. It says at first level, you choose various aspects of your character, including blank. These are now customizable. Ability score increases. Whatever race you choose in D&D, you get a trait called an ability score. This uh, increase reflects the archetypical, or sorry, archetypal, archetypal? Archetypal. Archetypal um, excellence of D&D. So, so for example, if you're a dwarf, you get the bonuses to constitution and blah, 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 blah. This increase doesn't apply to every dwarf, just to dwarf adventurers and exists to reinforce the archetype. Um, so if you like for your character to follow your own path, you can it says here in Tasha's, you can ignore your ability score increase trait and assign ability score increases tailored to your character. So it is going to tell you how to modify your ability score increases, um, including your languages as well. It, but it's all under that whole, you can't increase an ability score above 20 um, and tells you kind of how to swap it out. You could do that with languages if it makes more sense with your character origin. To have like a regional language. As yeah. To, yeah. Um, to have proficiencies, it's, if your race gives you different proficiencies, uh, then you really think fit your character. This tells you how to swap those out. This tells you how to customize your races on a granular level. Yeah. Um, I hate that and I will never do it. I won't allow it at my table. Absolutely not. I understand that this is Wizards of the Coast covering their ass because they got a lot of shit about, uh, about saying that everyone in this race is like this. I get that. I'm glad that they're being all inclusive. This encourages min-maxing in a situation that uh, has bounded accuracy and action economy that um, directly counteracts min-maxing. So 
I don't like this. This is going to make broken builds. Also, all of the bullshit theory crafting that you see on Reddit and um, on the special builds. Is pretty much out of the window if you imply this. Yeah. And so um, this is you saying, you know what? You can choose whether your rook or bishop moves diagonally. You do your own thing. And I'm like, no, that's not the game I signed up to play. I'm, I'm with you on so, that. So I like that they've done this. I think that it's going to be interesting for some people. It's not for my table. I, I completely agree. And this this goes all the way through from the personality of... I think this is what they're doing to uh, balance out the idea that all orcs are evil or all drow are evil that they have pushed up against in light of our cultural... Um, uh, the changes in culture that we're seeing. Yep. Right? That's oh, yeah, what I, this I agree. That is exactly what this is. This is them covering their ass and saying, oh, no, 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 whoa, we're inclusive culturally it's this because of their kingdoms yeah not because of the fact that this race inherently has an, an evil or a or they're always strong like they have got to get away from the idea of dark elves the one yeah no i agree the one thing i think this does do as well is this removes the requirement of say blade dancers needing to be an elf or uh what are they uh blade the, singers uh yeah sorry blade blade singers needing to be elves and they, the, they absolutely get rid of that in this book. Yeah, uh, same with the dwarf no, barbarian. No, that one, one. is still that doesn't get. I, I, this here lets you waive that if you want. Does that? Does it specifically That's, say like? I don't think it calls that out specifically, but it does say like the description of a race might suggest various things about behavior, or personality. You yeah, may ignore but, that. No, no, no. But I mean, when it comes to the subclasses, there are really only two that are subclass or that are race dependent. The Blade Singer and the uh, shit. What's it called? The, the Barbarian, the Dwarf Barbarian. Yeah, the the battle, the battle berserk. No, the, the battle. I don't remember. Rager, battle, battle Rager. Rager. There it is. Yep. So uh, this reprints the Blade Singer, but not the Battle Rager. Oh, okay. So the Blade Singer does get a reprint without that. We'll, we'll get to that when yeah. we get to Wizards. Um, now it does give you the ability to change skills if you want. Um. And it just details how to do that, as well as changing your subclass. And here we go. It's time for crazy power creep bullshit. Yeah. Um, with your DM's approval, you could change your subclass. Just in the middle of... When you would normally gain a new subclass feature. And details how to do that. Um, including the trading uh, training time or a sudden change in the character. So uh, it's got rules for how to train into new abilities within your subclass. Say if you're Oath of Devotion and you want to pick up an ability in Oath of uh, Redemption, it kind of covers that as well. Um, how to train into it and how to deal with a sudden change into it. Uh, strong dislike. I, I'm interested to see what the rules actually are before we move on, but that is in this book. Yeah, but I strongly dislike it because what's the point of having subclasses then? Um, I think it's a response. I, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more open uh, minded to it just because I have played in, in campaigns that were Pathfinder and are all about character customization. Um, this opens up the doors to a little bit of customization for the groups that are about that. For our groups, which are less about the character customization and more about the narrative building. I mean, yeah, I, I could. It, it's OK if you not put this in your game but i could see the attraction to this sure okay um it's not a new chapter but it's a massive portal. but it's a new thing adam would you like to go over the artificer oh are we gonna swap back and forth for every class i think that's what we should do okay well the artificer's in here and it also gets an armorer 
Oh, is that all we're going to do? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what to say without getting really granular about this. Um, I know that the Artificer is essentially just a direct reprint. It details tinkering. It details all that. All, all the infusions and everything else. This is a reprint from Eberron. Um, and it gives you the uh, Alchemist. It also gives you the uh, Artillerist and the Battlesmith. But it also adds a new one called Armorer. Um, and the basic idea of this one is that um, you essentially build like a second skin it's an iron man suit oh good yeah uh you literally bond with the armor becoming one with it okay and you can't it cannot be taken off of your body and your helmet opens and closes it's an iron man suit it's an iron man suit um it's its own unique thing uh, you get armor or spells like magic missile thunder wave lightning bolt fire shield wall of force it's an iron man suit yeah uh, you don't get fly, which is the big thing. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be the Iron Man suit. So there's a, there's a lot in here. There's a few notes from Tasha, like the artillerist. Some artificers ask the hard questions. Couldn't there be even more collateral damage? <laughs> For the Very artillerist. nice. Yeah, Very so, nice. Um, it's got a lot of really cool um, artwork on this as well um, that expands because the artwork in Eberron for the Artificer was a little weak. It didn't give you all of the different flavors of it. Yeah, it it had the one with, like, the Steel Defender, and that was it. Uh, Yeah, and so we get a different kind of artillerist uh, artwork. We get the armor artwork, and so... And uh, a gnome battlesmith with a Steel Defender that looks like a bear. So it's not just the dog that it implied um, the first time around. Uh, You also get uh, a list of different homunculus servants um, that are listed here, including that flying cauldron from the front page yeah um as well and a really cool what looks like a flying feline creature um like you can think outside the box on this which is which is really neat um they've got all of the uh, replicable items for second level sixth level tenth level and 14th level um and uh and then it moves on to barbarian Dan. <laughs> i'll take the barbarian thank you very much i bet you will um so, Barbarian, I mean, it's it's same thing with... Uh, yeah, all of the new... They, they just started to say it's the same thing and they got distracted. So, uh, the thing with each of these uh, classes are you get optional class features now. And these let you swap from... Or these just are added on top? Unlike the features in the player's handbook, you don't gain these features automatically. You have to consult with your DM whether you gain the feature. Okay. Um, so there's a couple new, there's a third level and a seventh level feature here. Yeah. And we will go through them in future barbarian episodes. Obviously we're going to be digging more into classes when the time comes around. I mean, kind of like we've done with Xanathar's, there's these new options. So yeah. Um, there's a new path, which is the, uh, path of the beast. Again, we will break this down later, but, uh, the little thing is you have to respect anyone who lets their inner beast out for a brisk jog and hearty throat ripping. I like it. Thanks Dasha. Um, as well as the pact of wild magic. I kind of just want to read Tash's little glibs at the beginning of these things. Sorry, the Path of Wild Magic. You yeah, said, sorry. You said Pact. Uh, sorry, yeah, Path of Wild Magic, which is, I don't recommend letting magic take the reins, but I'm not your mom. Live deliciously, Tasha. <laughs> so, hold on. So It's it, a wild magic barbarian. Which is nuts because rages and spells do not go hand in hand. So I'm really curious to see what this has to offer. The character art is a wood elf barbarian with like a gleeful look on on their face. So cool. Yeah. Next along the line, hey bard, this is kind of fitting our yeah. We like to play. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna be cleric next, and yeah, go back and forth. Sure. You'll be druid. You love druids. I've actually come around on druids. So, uh, optional class features include additional bard spells, as well as a magical inspiration. 
um, which includes your Bardic Inspiration die. There's also Bardic Versatility. Um, which is a, Are these the optional rules? Yeah, which is the fourth level Bard feature. There's a College of Creation. Okay. Is it like a summoning college, basically? Um, like the Conjuring College? The Conjuring of Creatures College? Well, there's just a whole lot of blah, 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 Bard singing nonsense. They draw on the primeval <laughs> So song. it's a bard, okay. Yeah, they, There's a lot of blah, 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 bard nonsense, Jack. Yeah. Uh, uh, they draw on the prim, uh, the primeval song through dance, music, and poetry, and their teachers share this lesson. Before the sun and the moon, okay, it's more blah, 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 dwarven bullshit. Or no, <laughs> no, no, no now we're getting into dwarven bullshit. Uh, dwarves and gnomes often encourage their bards to become students of the song of creation. Um... I, I I like the idea that they have like they're tapping they're furthering that lore that bards tap into the lyrical essence of magic. Yeah, what well, these ones specifically are is tapping into the lyrical aspect of the creation of the first dragons and gods. Ooh, so that's kind of their. So so when it's the college of creation, it's not the college of like here's a pie. It's more like here's. How the world started. Like the creation myth, yeah. not creating something. That's cool. Yep. And then, of course, there's a reprint of the College of Eloquence from Theros. So so you, could you say that the bard of the College of Creation is about the Big Bang? Here you go, Dan. Uh, Talk about uh, clerics. Big big bet, like doing it. So clerics get an optional class feature. Fuck. <laughs> Um, I mean, they get they get additional spells and the ability to harness divine power, um, which is which is really I mean, I get it. Which is Tasha? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, they get can- cantrip versatility, which I believe all full spellcasters are going to be getting, um, which is the ability to change your cantrips. Boo! Um, but it it only happens when you gain levels. It's not like a you wake up after a long rest. Well, that's a little bit better. Yeah. I know that some are more or less versatile as you go, but like, I don't know, man. Having to choose the non-combat ones really adds a specific flavor. You start looking for how to use it. I think the later you get in the game, the more you'll choose the non-combat ones because they'll become useless with your combat spells. Unless you're a warlock. Unless you're a warlock, but, yeah. yeah. Um, then you get this thing called Blessed Strikes, which we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, we'll cover this in future episodes. Uh, you get the order domain. Uh, finally, a whole faith about coloring inside the lines. The order, yeah, but the order domain is out of Ravnica. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's a reprint. What else? Do we so get? you get the peace domain, order and peace. So peace is a new one. Yeah. What, what's the flavor on peace? Um, have these peaceful clerics even considered that they're subverting the most holy system, one where bad decisions coincide with the teaching power of pain? Huh. So Tash has got some opinions, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, they they look like I mean their spells: heroism, sanctuary, aid, warding, bond, beacon of hope, sending. These guys are. This is like the life cleric without the healing. Like these are the goody two shoes. Oh, uh, these yes, I would say so. They these guys don't get the heavy armor proficiency. Oh wow! Yeah. All right. Um, and then there is the twilight domain. Ooh. Which I King can't, Jacob. I can't believe I'm writing. I think it's a different kind of twilight there, Adam. Okay. I can't believe I'm writing this, but I think I could get behind a faith focused on moonlighting and evening wear. Tasha. Ba-dum-tsh. Yeah. Uh, these guys look like they are about the transition time of light to darkness. Dear wizards, you need to run a Tasha Twitter account. I would follow that shit. Oh, in an instant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bunch of new things for Twilight Domain and Druids. So... Druids get new additional spells. You get a wild companion. 
Hey, you gain the ability to summon a spirit that assumes an animal form. Finally for druids. You get cantrip versatility. I think it looks like, yeah, yeah, remember I said that it looks like all classes are going to get this. Yeah. Um, so Circle of Spores gets a reprint. Okay, yeah. So that's good. When uh, would, that came out early. Well, no, that's, that's Ravnica. Okay. Um, and then Circle of Stars is a new one. Um, which is, uh, what about the dark places between the stars? Don't you realize that's where the good stuff is? That's oh Bashar. my god, these are your, like, weird, creepy druids, aren't they? They draw on the powers, no, these guys draw on the power of starlight. Just Tasha kind of ripping on them a bit. Oh, okay. Um, so you get things like, well, the name of the things are star map, starry form, cosmic omen, twinkling constellations. So, like, you're, you're getting the idea that you're... You're a Kalistar. Uh, you know, I think that they would go hand in hand. You're getting things like Guidance and Guiding Bolt and stuff with this. Okay. So, um, then there's Circle of Wildfire. Huh? Yeah. So you're Cersei Lannister. Uh, they understand that destruction is sometimes the precursor of creation. So this is what the Forest Fire promotes later growth, so on and so forth. The number one complaint about the Tasha's book online is that they took away Fireball as a spell for the Circle of Wildfire. It was in the UA and it isn't now. That makes no sense why the Circle of Wildfire wouldn't have Fireball. It has Burning Hands, Cure Wounds, fame, uh, Flaming Sphere, Scorching Ray, Plant Growth, Revivify, Aura of Life, Fire Shield, Flame Strike, and Mass Cure Wounds. So there's some Healy stuff. Plant Growth and Revivify make some sense. I think all the other ones light shit on fire, though. And Fireball doesn't. Well, fireball doesn't. Yeah, that's right. So that's... I guess that tracks. That would make sense. Why? Yeah. You also get a Wildfire Spirit. So you get a small elemental that follows and, you around. And honestly, friends, just get a wand of fireball. Yeah, or a necklace of. They're pretty yeah. standard. Like, right. Or, hey, you know what? Why don't you just multi-class? You're going to fucking do it anyway. And hey, you can swap out spells whenever you want, according to this. So, I mean, it, yes, according to this, yes. that's. I mean, I'm starting to see why that's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, all right. Next are fighters, because of course they are. We get new fighting style options, um, which... I mean, blind fighting, interception, superior technique. Um, Is it, sorry, are these new maneuvers? These are new fighting style options. You get these at first level with your fighting style. Uh, So like with your um, archery and your great weapon. Yeah, kind of, right? Like, and, and holy crap, these are really good. Power creep. Okay, yes. It's power creep. Moving on. Uh, Thrown weapon fighting is one of them. Finally, we get some thrown weapons. I'm. Well, then let me um, throw this knife at you. No. Um, also, unarmed fighting. That's a monk, my friends. Um, pretty much. Okay. What else you got? Um, you get mar- uh, new options for martial, uh, martial versatility as well, um, which basically lets you swap fighting styles if you want. Sure. Okay. Um, you get new uh, maneuver options, uh, which are available to your battle masters. I'm annoyed. Because I just played one to 12th level, and I would have liked some of these. And there's a lot. You just played one to 20th level. Yeah. Oh, well, you got 12 I got to 12 levels in with them. Um, So, I mean, this... I would love to have seen some of these things. Some of them look pretty cool. um, Which is, like, dexterity-based stuff, which is nice. Um, And some stuff that makes sense it would have, like, uh, grappling strike and uh, quick toss. Sure. Yeah. Um, You'd think that would be a bard maneuver. Uh, that's not, well... Like quick toss? Yeah. Mm. Oh, God, the sound effect was not necessary. Okay, so you have Adam. You have Adam. You have your Psy Warrior. Your Psy... Ah, oh, fuck off. Um, this is your... Is this just Psychic Warrior nonsense? 
Brains over brawn? Mind over matter? These candy warriors rightly answer, why not both? Um, I'm happy that these are here because they seem like an int-based uh, fighter again, which we needed. Is there an int? Is it actually int-based or does it just imply that? I think it's... Imp- well, one second. Let me scan through. That sounds like it's a flavor implication and not... No, it's int-based. Is it? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, you... Things happen based on the... Um, you can use this a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier. All right. Well, there we go. I'm yep. glad intelligence is getting more of a... Uh, and there's a lot of it that involves your intelligence modifier. Good. Okay. Well, I like that. I'm not a fan of uh, psionics in D&D in the first place. What? You don't want your uh, fighter to have a uh, telekinetic leap ability or a telekinetic thrust ability? I'm sorry. Did you just say Jedi? Because that's what that sounds like to me. Um, You don't say. Okay. Just real quick with the cyanite. It feels a lot like not necessarily a I know you're. I know you're saying fighter. cyanite, but it sounds like you're saying cyanide every time. Okay. Psy warrior because it's not cyanite. It's psy warrior. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, yeah, it kind of feels like a Jedi, but it also feels a lot like just a telekinetic uh, fighter. Sure. Not necessarily like uh, like psychic imposing the will in your mind. Like these guys might not be able to read your I'm, mind. I'm but... talking Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan at the beginning of Phantom Menace running around just pushing droids over and shit. Yeah, that's going to be what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you get Rune, Rune Knights. Yeah. Um, which uh, are basically fighters who add runes onto their weapons to further their power. They're not necessarily spellcasters, but they get a number of runes they use. It's a really cool, interesting looking um, uh, new mechanical system for fighters that is in here. So their weapons are imbued and stuff? Yeah, you're researching ancient arts and drawing runes. It's okay to just say you want to be a witch. Aw, Tasha. Aw, Tasha. So yeah, you get like runes and a lot of it it looks like it has a bit of a giant feel to it as well like the old magic of giants yeah that's cool because giants are really rune based so yeah I like that. uh so you get rune carver where you get runes which adds some things yeah that goes all the way along um you get builds for battle for battle masters what's that um they are straight up builds which give you the fighting style maneuvers and feats with Different Battlemaster builds for like archers, gladiators, duelists, lancers, outriders, oh, so pugilists. So it's, it's more about... Um, they're suggested Battlemaster builds. They're just suggested Battlemaster builds. That's pretty cool. I like that. So when you want to play a, a pugilist or you want to play an archer specifically... <laughs> it makes can... it easy to figure out which ones are kind of flavored towards your build. But at the same time, friends, it's three pages worth of stuff. Just read it and fig- build it yourself. I don't like this. I don't like when they have suggested builds. They don't have it anywhere else in any of the other classes we've seen so far. They just well, have it they here. do in the player's handbook. They've got the how to build, you know, uh, the quick build guide at the beginning of every single class. Then why isn't there some uh, suggested builds for other classes? So far, just Battlemaster gets it. Yeah, but you want to know why? Is I feel like um, you have enough people in the online community. I think this is a response to the online community ranting and bitching about how how come we don't have a a tavern brawler or a a boxer or how come we don't have an archer build we have the arcane archer but what about someone who can just shoot arrows and so it's just fighter is i mean you get oh you get so much more than that you get bodyguard hoplite there's like a dozen outrider yeah honestly i don't see the problem in that to point someone in the direction so that have it for other classes would be my thing then 
Yeah, but a lot of this stuff exists in real life, like shock trooper, skirmisher, strategist. I think part of the reason is because Battlemaster is so varied in what options you could get because of it's what a little, maneuvers you want. It's a little intensive. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're playing a Battlemaster, we said it in the Fighters episode, you're probably a little bit more of an experienced player anyways. Uh, yeah, but you're so, not necessarily going to be. I like this for new players just to give them kind of a direction. And frankly, it's two pages. It's, it's really a page and a half. It, I, I don't uh, mind them taking the time out to do this. Okay. I like the dwarf with the short beard. That's not a dwarf. That's a dude. I think it's a dwarf. I think you're wrong. Monk. Um, <laughs> you get, oh, uh, some sort of dedicated weapon. A key-fueled attack. Pretty sure they were all key-fueled. Uh, quickened healing and focused aim. Okay, Ooh. so. Quickened healing. Uh, there are two key points, and then you roll a martial arts die, whatever that is. Oh, that's your martial arts damage. Sure. Um, then you have uh, the Way of Mercy, which it says Plague Doctor. Some looks never go out of style. And sure enough, the picture has a little Plague Doctor mask on the, on the front of it. How fitting for our current world. <laughs> there are... It depends on what it does, Adam. I might take that back. <laughs> what kind of mercy are we talking about? They learn to manipulate the life force of others to bring aid to those in need. They're wandering physicians to the poor and hurt. However, to those beyond their help, they bring a swift end as an act of mercy. So they euthanize. They're uh, doctors that will euthanize. Okay, that's really cool because so far clerics are really the only healer. Even druids get access to it, but they're not really a healer class. Yeah, you get divine soul, which gets some access to it, but sure. But th- like this feels like a monk healer. That tracks, man. Like, it and does. Then, and then you get way of the astral self. Yeah, fuck this thing. Uh, which is just, I mean... Is this the one that gives you like 18 astral arms? There is arms of the astral self in God, here. God, I yeah. hate that. Why? Well, it it is. We have harped on this game for so many uh, for for you so just, many episodes. You just get your two additional arms, like it's just your astral body. Yes, but that's two additional attacks, which increases the amount of uh, uh, action economy that your monks putting out there. Your monks' turns already take forever trying to figure out: Am I flurrying? Am I not flurrying? How many sh- uh, hits do I get if I flurry? Like. It's it's just a way to take longer. Uh, it costs key points, um, which you get one a level. Basically, the, these arms get ten foot reach. Yeah, yeah. It's also a little bit of power bloat. Like monks are already powerful. Can you imagine stunning at a ten foot reach, Adam? Yep. I don't like the astral self monk. You just think it's overpowered? I think it's overpowered. Yeah, we'll we will dig into this in <laughs> in the future monks episode. But um, I don't know. It seems really flavorful though. And it's, <sighs> and it's nice to see a dragonborn in the artwork that is not in full plate. Yes, that's true. That's true. So uh, up next is Dan's probable favorite. Hey, paladins. That's a paladin. Um, you get additional spells. Um, I do? If you're a paladin. You're sure. not a paladin. You don't get additional spells. Hey. Uh, you get additional fight. You get fighting style options that are flavored specifically for paladin. Oh, nice. So it doesn't just overlap with I mean, it, I mean, it does. There's blind fighting and interception here, which are both on the fighting one. But you get Blessed Warrior, which gives you additional ca- uh, cantrips. Yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Which, paladins don't get cantrips. Yeah. So this is awesome. I like this. They don't get cantrips because they're balanced to not have them. But this replaces the fighting style. Oh, does right? it? Right? Like, this is part of the fighting style option. So you're okay. taking two cantrips instead of... Great ma- uh, great weapon master or whatever. Sure, it is, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You have the ability to harness your divine power, 
which is the same as the other classes. You could spend your channel divinities to do some stuff. Um, gives you more options for channel divinities and martial, uh, martial versatility, um, lets you retrain fighting styles if you want. So those are your options. Sure. Um, then you get new oaths. You get your oath of glory, which is a reprint from, uh, Theros. Uh, you, you're it. You're the winner of the cosmic fortune lottery. Oh, and you're going to tell absolutely everyone about it? Just great. Wizards, make a Tasha Twitter account. That would be great. It's just a reprint. Everything looks the same. Um, you get the Oath of the Watchers, which looks new. Yep. Uh, that doesn't sound uh, like I've seen that one before. These paladins aren't at all up to what I expected. Worse, they send home your party's best guests. So these guys look like they are there to protect the mortal realms from extraplanar creatures. Yeah, okay. We were kind of missing that. I, I mean, I you like have that. the Horizon Walker Ranger. Yeah, I but think that was that, really it. I think this is f- uh, fitting that. For paladins, yeah. I like and, that. And, I mean... I feel like there was a cleric domain somewhere in there that was like that too, but... Probably. I can't off the top of my head think of one. Yeah, new tenants, uh, new channel divinity options. I mean, it's a paladin subclass. Um, the art is beautiful of a uh, female dwarf, which we don't see a lot of art of. All right, you need to calm down. I know about your fetish for female dwarves. I just like female dwarves. Don't kink shame me. Oh, that one, there's so Here's many the other ranger. shames that you can have. Yeah, Ranger. Ranger. Uh, okay, so your optional class features, Deft Explorer, uh, which replaces the Natural Explorer feature. Um, you get oh a bunch of different options there, which is... Actually looks more versatile. Favored foe, which replaces your favorite enemy, and works with foe slayer. Okay. So, um... I would just swap the the two out right away. Like, all rangers across the board, just swap that. It depends. We'll we'll dive into it in a future episode. Again, uh, additional ranger spells. Finally, entangle is something that you get at first level, which... It just makes sense. It should have been from the very beginning, but they get revivify... Summon Fae and Summon Elemental, which are new summoning spells. That fits for the flavor of Rangers. Yep. Um, And there's some stuff in here that they just should have had the whole time. I I love that they get Revivify now. Yep. Uh, Fighting style option. uh, Blind fighting, Druidic Warrior, and Thrown Weapon. Thrown Weapon makes a lot of fucking sense for a Ranger. Mm -hmm. Um, You get a spellcasting focus now. Really? Yeah. Rangers didn't have a focus before, right? Yeah. Um, And then they get Primal Awareness. Um, which replaces the primeval awareness. So that's new and interesting as well. Um, and then there's only oh, shit. They get so much more martial versatility. I think it's because they're addressing. Veil. I think that they're addressing the fact that rangers, based off the main book, are weak, and this is going to put a lot of the errata that they've had in since the uh, since the release of the game. Really, yeah. right? That's so good. Now you get Fey Wanderer uh, as one of your subclasses, uh, and you get Swarm Keeper. Swarm Keeper sounds cool. Swarm Keeper is the one that got a lot of attention online. Fae Wanderer has gotten some as well. Uh, it's all, I mean, Fae Wanderer is obviously Fae bullshit. I have a question. If yep. they're going to put this much work into like new Fae bullshit and, and new Fae stuff, are they going to address the fact that like the Arch Fae patron is so weak? Uh, I don't know because we're not dealing with, with that. Holy shit. Okay, so sorry, I flipped the page. Um, it's all the swarm keeper is all you know. You know the beast master gets a beast. Yeah, the swarm keeper gets swarms. Cool. So there's also a, potentially incredibly overpowered. Yeah, like there's a there's a lot of neat stuff. You get swarm keeper spells: fairy fire, mage hand, web, gaseous form, insect plague. We obviously. talked we talked about this with Gloomstalker and Horizon Walker. Like they 
they tended to overcorrect with the weakness of the stock uh, ranger yeah. with their subclasses. They overcorrected. I think they're keeping up the trend here. I don't know. It really depends on how this this breaks Swarms down. Swarms are powerful, man. Yeah, but I wonder how it's going to play against the original stock ranger versus this new ranger that they're giving you all these variants for as well, right? Right. So um, it's there's a lot of options here, and as you are as you become more and more customizable. And there are more and more exceptions to rules and stuff. It's harder to say whether or not something is inherently overpowered or if we just automatically assume that people are going for the most powerful. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, we've talked about the idea of this bonded accuracy that, that D and D has, um, where there's this kind of hard limit to ability. So, um, playing within that to this, I mean, I, I, we really have to break the habit. And I think this is a good time to mention this. We have to break the habit of. Um, striving towards the 20 in your stat because the 20 means you're superhuman, you're the best in that stat possible. Honestly, just because I, you're, I would rather have three 18s than 120. I, I would rather have two 18s than 120, right? Like, I, and, and to that point, I would rather have four 16s or yeah. three 16s than 120, yeah, right? Like, it, it, it gets exponential like that. And we have this gets really creepy when you start talking about your dating life. When uh, I notice I'm not going below a certain point. Um, the uh, the thing that really, really, I think this game needs to break is this desire to have like uh, the absolute mechanical top of everything. The, I mean, well, the customizability makes it so that you can strive for that now. That's what this book is for. Look for the top. Look for the most customizable thing. Uh, like, like you but need this, to, you're going to shed your weaknesses and take all the strengths across the multi-class. There is so much potential and flavor inside of these characters to build intriguing characters that even as a ranger, you have 16, uh, I mean, it's still your main stat, but you have 16 decks. Sure. Oh yeah. Right. Th- yeah. Like, there's enough. You don't need to go crazy over the top of it. I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, champion the standard array for character building, the, the, you know, 16, 15, 14, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Are you done with your side rant? Can we get back to Sure. Okay, so... Rangers was going to bring it out of us if any class was. um, Well, they fixed the Beastmaster to a degree as well because there's a whole page of Beastmaster companions. Oh, cool. Primal Companion replaces the Beastmaster feature, uh, which is the Ranger's Companion. Um, And this is about magically summoning a primal beast of the land, sea, or sky. Oh, and you get okay. a stat block for Beast of the Land, Beast of the Sea, or Beast of the Sky. And you essentially flavor it the way you want, the way that you would with a familiar. Oh, yes, please. That means you have like a... a what kind of creature are they? Are they like... They're armor class... Uh, no, 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 like what type of creature? Beast. They're just beasts. They're just beasts. Armor class reads them as 13 plus proficiency bonus. So oh. they level. Oh. Yeah. Their hit points are four plus... I'm just going to take the sky four... Plus four times your ranger level. It has a number so of hit dice. It gets five hit points. It has level. a number of hit dice d sixes equal to your ranger level. Okay. And then they've got different. They've got crazy different speeds as well. And like, there's a lot. There's a lot to them. Their challenge rating. Their proficiency bonus equals yours. Uh, I'm starting to see a problem of this being more physically powerful than a wizard. I don't think you ever have that problem. Wizards will be the most powerful thing in every game. Uh clerics. Wizards, hand out. You and I have this fight. Wizards are more powerful than clerics. Versatility. Clerics are, well, two trick ponies. With with the rules in this, I yeah. I disagree. Uh, and you're allowed to disagree, but let's stay right. on book. Uh, rogues. Um, roguey, roguey, rogues. Um, uh, oh, they have a picture of a drow rogue. 
Which, I mean, looks pretty cool. No one can see the art, Dan. What's in the chapter, you fuck? Oh, I'm not just supposed to read it? Okay, yeah, anyways. Jesus. <laughs> uh, new options. You have uh, just one new optional class feature, which is called Steady Aim, which is where you can give yourself advantage on the next attack roll on your current turn. Yeah, okay. Dear Assassins, this is super powerful. The other thing oh. about this as well um, is it makes it really viable to get your Gloomstalker in on one level of Rogue. Mm-hmm. But you'll notice that they don't get a whole lot of additional things because rogues are already fucking broken. Yes. PSA uh, over. Uh, funny enough, this steady aim um, is just something you take over and above. It doesn't replace anything, but it balances the fact that you as a rogue who gives the crap about the most about getting advantage are giving yourself advantage on your current turn. I don't like it. Okay. Anyways, uh, you get roguish archetypes, new ones, which are the phantom. Uh, collecting the souls of your defeated foes and everyday objects. What a good idea. Though I'd probably need an encyclopedia to hold all my anti-admirers. If I'm going to create a a phantom, the phantom, it is going to be named Billy Zane. Because that was a badass movie. Yeah. That was a badass movie. I, are you going to wear the purple leotard with the purple? I'm wearing that underneath my clothes right now, Dan. It's not so underneath as you think, man. Hey, hey, check it out. My God looking at me anyways uh these rogues <laughs> these rogues uh walk the fine line between life and death cool we'll cover them in a future uh thing but they look like a uh other like a religious assassin almost sure cool you got your soul knife more psionics um i also have the ability to manifest my thoughts in ways that cut people i call this power words oh she's She's after my this, own heart. You should get a tattoo of that on your body somewhere. Yeah, I, somewhere, somewhere. Tasha might be my spirit animal. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm ninety percent certain I've heard you say that. Yeah, multiple times. Um, soul knives are psionic uh, rogues. Uh, you get a psionic blade. You are psionic. Uh, uh, you are Psylocke from X Men. Oh, sure. Okay. Literally, cool. the halfling soul knife art. Well, it's Psylocke. Yeah. It's Psylocke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as a dude and three feet tall. Um, yeah, cool. That's that's pretty much it. That brings us to sorcerers. Now you just get a whole bunch of additional sorcerer spells. Booming blade, green flame blade. Oh, you're cantors. getting a little bit of the warlocks flavor there. I, I like that. I think they should have had that to begin with. Yeah, now you're going to get a lot of the new Tasha stuff. Uh, Caustic brew, mind whip, otherworldly guys. What? <laughs> not not guys. G U I S E. Just just a bunch of John Cena's walking around. Looking at him, he's otherworldly. There are otherworldly guys. Grass. <laughs> um, you get new metamatic options: seeking Ooh. spell and transmuted spell. Ooh ooh ooh. You also get sorcerer's versatility at uh, fourth level and magical guidance at fifth level. You get the aberrant mind. This is your aberration bloodline. Yeah. Uh, Detasha note, and it says, Tentacles, psychic powers, beings from beyond the stars, one person's bad dream is another person's good time. Also something you should have tattooed on your body sometimes. No, that's a Terry fucking <laughs> Um But it, this is all about the far realms. I'm, I'm happy. When we've done the sorcerer episodes, I've said there needs to be an old god sorcerer option. Yeah, there's, it's also a lot of psionic shit in this one as well. So it's all psychic, otherworldly, far realm. You know shit. what? It's time for that in the edition. And I understand that when the psionics come into the edition, it's kind of the mark of the downfall. But if they handle them well, then it could be a good edition. 
You also get Clockwork Soul, which is Modron related. How does that work? No, 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 Adam. Yeah? Like, sexually, how does that work? Well, I wonder if Modrons vibrate, Dan. I rarely tell people I speak Modron because invariably they just want to learn how to curse. So let's get this out of the way now. Lesson one, beep, boop, and other slams. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tasha, let's be friends. No. Yeah, no, it looks like there's a lot of uh, balance and law and order uh, flavoring to this one as well. Um, Which is weird for the chaotic sorcerer. The only reason people think sorcerers are chaotic is it's because of wild previous magic. Editions right, no, wild it's wild magic. magic, right? Like it has, it has nothing to do with the, the divine soul, the draconic bloodline. They could be very much about order, and they always, they've always had the ability to be that. This, the, uh, I remember you talking about the divine soul and saying that the 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 problem with it, it didn't fit with the sorcerer feel. Um, no, I look just be a fucking ASMR. Jesus, like I, I. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to actually looking over Clockwork, Clockwork Soul because it feels out of place just from yeah. general feel. So Warlocks, because of course um, I get the Warlocks. You're welcome, Adam. Um, warlocks, you get a bunch of additional spells, um, including a new one called Mind Sliver. I wonder what that does. Um, you get a new pact, my friend. Pact of the Talisman. Sure. So this is now on top of Pact of the Blade, Pact of the Tome, Pact of the... Uh, chain, which is good. They needed other options there. I agree 100%. I'm kind of sad we only get one. I would have liked to get another three just for versatility. Sake. I agree. But that, um, that's fine because you're still you're still multiplying it by the fucking ridiculous number of yeah. subclasses. At fourth level, you also get Eldritch versatility, which lets you replace things as we've seen the versatility in other full yeah, yeah, yeah. in quotations sure. casters. Um, you get new invocations. Which are not just about Pact of the Talisman. You get a new Pact of the Tome feature, a couple new Pact of the Tome features, a couple new Pact of the Talisman features, a couple new Pact of the Chain features. No Blade, huh? Um, Does not look like there's a new Pact of the Blade, which is okay because really it's, it didn't need it. No, it's fine um, the way it is. However, it, uh, I mean, there's there's a couple really, really, like I'm just looking at this thinking as a person who likes playing Warlocks. There's a couple really interesting, like gaining. Yeah, there's a couple really interesting new invocations here, which is awesome. In terms of otherworldly patrons, you get the fathomless. I never understood that one is all like krakens and and yeah, underwater. it's it's um, entities of the ocean, elemental plane of water, and other another otherworldly sea. That's cool. Okay, um, I never understood why some people get so jittery about tentacles. Have you ever had octopus nigiri? One of the few pieces of evidence of a benevolent universe, Tasha. I agree. Oh my god. It it's it's pronounced Taco. T-A-K-O in actual Japanese. Oh yeah. It's fucking delicious. Yeah. Um, which gives you a further expended spell list that, surprise, surprise, deals with wind, lightning, and water. Sure, it's just more elemental nonsense. Yeah. But um, we didn't really have an elemental uh, warlock, right? No, we really didn't. Um, you also have the genie. I know finding housing in Greyhawk is rough, but when genies and warlocks, I love how they call it war, uh, Greyhawk, by the way, but when genies or warlo- warlocks offer you cheap rent, run. Yeah, no, that that's fair. I like the, uh, I like that this is more hinting at, at Greyhawk. I wonder if we're going to get a Greyhawk. This setting. is also featuring heavily uh, uh, more of a um, Asian feel. How? Um, you get to choose your type of genie. 
which has your Dao, your Genie, your Ifriti, or your Merid. Yeah, well, those are standard right? out of the um, Monster Manual. We haven't had a lot of focus on like that level stuff. And when you ha- bring the Genie into play, you're playing with that um, Western Asia feel anyways. Yeah. So um, you get an expanded spell list with that. Um, which depends completely on what kind of genie you choose. So it's giving you a breakdown on That's what kind cool. of yeah. genie you have. Um, it gives you the vessel your genie's in. This is really, really cool. Um, and basically it's giving you elemental power based off of the type well, of Well, the different genies are all different kinds elemental. of elemental. Yeah. yeah so. um, I see the words limited wish, but I'm going to move on. Adam... Um, wow, at 14th level. At 14th wish. level, you get Limited Wish, yep, okay. which was a spell in 3.5, but not in 5th. Um, now for the wizard. You know, of course, you get a whole shit ton of additional wizard spells. You don't say. Yep. Um, and then Cantrip Formulas at 3rd level. I'm sorry, what? Okay, I'm actually going to hone in on this one because it's short. You have scribed a set of arcane formulas in your spell book that you can use to formulate a cantrip in your mind whenever you finish a long rest and consult those formulas in your spell book, you can replace one wizard cantrip you know with another cantrip from the wizard spell list. Oh, it just lets you swap cantrips. Yeah. Sure. But per long rest, which is useful. Per long rest, yeah. I'm okay with this for wizards. It matches. It, it, yeah, it fits for wizards. I'm okay. The arcane traditions are blade singing. I know that it got an update, but I don't know how deep that update goes, so we'll tackle that in a future episode. Uh, just real brief, in other editions, the difference between sorcerer and wizard has been versatility versus uh, versatility versus power. Yep. Wizards are more versatile, sorcerers are more powerful um, in terms of the amount of spells they get. Yep. They are honing in on that a little bit more here by giving you the ability to change things easier. R- keep in mind, wizards were the only class so far that had the ability to change spells as well. Yes. So... This tracks. Um, so there's blade singing, and we're going to go into the differences in a future episode the next time that Wizards comes around um, on the main podcast. So uh, when faced with the endless onslaught of magical possibilities, many wizards suffer identity crises. Some overcome, some break, and some become sword bards. <laughs> Thanks, Tasha. Um, oh, is that, that actually what she says? Yeah. Some become sword bards? No, the best one, the best one that my favorite so far is Order of Scribes. Okay. All right, so this one, is, I mean, you get Awakened Spellbook, Wizardly Quill, um, One with the Word. Hi, we weren't nerdy enough. Let's be nerdier. Oh, this is such a Dan. Okay, class. let's see it. Um, but hers is, magic is great and all, but have you smelled a book? <laughs> we literally sniffed the book at <laughs> the beginning of Oh, this. my God. <laughs> well, fuck. Okay, so next is Feats. Um, Tash is going to give us a bunch of new Feats. There's a few pages here. Um, from what I'm seeing, it looks like, to be honest, there's going to be some feats that give you like multi-class light. So if you're a fighter, but you want a little sprinkling of artificer without wanting to go into artificer, you could take artificer initiate, which gives you base. That's the same thing as the, as the magic initiate, right? And the like martial adept and yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, Why not? Yep. They've also given some other, um, like just real, like we got, uh, profession style ones. Which is like, there's a chef one here, which gives you a bunch of bonuses for cooking for your party. Sure, okay. I'm not sure how often that comes up, but all right. Poisoner is here. It's about time the poison got a little bit of a spotlight in fifth ed. Yep, a skill expert, which looks like basically a prodigy feat. I'm pretty sure we've got like three of those already, so sure, why not? Yeah, um, 
I'm, I'm skimming through Fighting Initiate, Gunner, Piercer, Poisoner, Shadow Touched, which looks like the Shadow... Uh, yeah, okay, so there's Fae Touched, Shadow Touched. It looks like there's a little bit of... Dan, can you show me on the doll where the Fae Touched you? Yeah, right. Um, all over. Uh, telepathic. Telepathic? Yeah, uh, you get a feat where you're telepathic. All right. You can cast Detect Thoughts and speak telepathically to things. Sure. I mean, you're giving up your ability score increase, so I don't mind that, mm-hmm. right? There's okay. also telekinetic one, which gives you, like, mage hand and bonus action telekinesis. Sure. Cool. But a uh, bunch of new, really, really flavorful new feats. I like them. Especially the the class ones where you get to sprinkle just a little hint of those classes in there. I would have liked to see a... I don't... I In my skimming, I did not see a barbarian one. I'd like to see a barbarian light. Yeah, but that's fair. Um, next, we have group patrons. And uh, the picture that we have actually is of Tasha as the Witch Queen. Cool. Being, like, being like prayed to by a bunch of, of like wizards. Are they cultists? No, they're wizard pledges. Cultists. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I guess warlocks if it's patrons. Um, so the group patrons that we have here talks about how patrons work. This is not the same as warlock patrons. So I'm, they're using the same words, but... But it's more like benefactor. It really is. So um, we got this in a really strong flavor in Eberron. And if you listen to the Touring the Multiverse series, Dave and I touched on those in one of the episodes. Um, and it looks like they brought it over and they've kind of enhanced it a little bit here. So it gives you a section on how patrons work. Um, they give you uh, your group assistance. There are perks. There are also assignments that you are given. So this actually is a campaign starter cool. just by having... You know how we did it with the campaign builder where we've got Tremblay and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the Black Ink Union? They're doing... They're codifying this. Cool. Okay? So While giving, they listen to the podcast. That's fantastic. Right? Sponsor us. God, we're so good at everything. <laughs> um, feel how hard these nipples are. Anyway... I'd rather not. The example patrons I give you are like an academy, an ancient being, an aristocrat, a criminal syndicate, a guild, military force, religious order, or sovereign. So they are different than the ones that you get in um, in Eberron, but they're themed very similarly. They, they seem to fit the flow of uh, group patrons and flavor of guilds that we laid out yeah. in, in that as well with like the, the, they could be guilds or they could be merchant guilds or, or whatever. So you're... You'll get, like, a type and a contact. I'm going to go through Academy really quickly, but it's going to be the same, okay. essentially, for all of them. Uh, there's It gives you types of academies, and then a D6 table, a boarding school, an arcane enclave, a secret monastery, elite institute, vault of secrets, or a museum of dreams. Is there a table to randomly roll up all of this? So, like, I, I just envision, like, a session zero kind of thing. You've, everybody's got their character set up. We know what the... It's not that deep. There's only really two sections that you choose from for, okay. for your group patron. So it gives you the type of academies. And then it gives you different perks that an academy gives you. Compensation, documentation, research, resources, and training. Okay. You get all of that. Um, and it gives you kind of like a DM um, gets to get some inspiration here. But it's really meant for players to dig in to understand what they're in for. Okay. Um, there's also academy contacts. For an academy, it's a harried functionary, a celebrated instructor, a wizened fixture, an infatuated tourist, a spectral fragment, or a distant observer. Then there are. How is a tourist a benefit? A flirtatious visiting scholar perceives your every report and donated discovery as a personal gift. 
Oh, oh, so it's a flavor for whatever your like main point of contact is. Yeah. So, okay. So these are these are contacts within the academy, right? That you would be able to uh, pick from, and able to, or in order to determine who manages the relationship between you and the academy. Okay. You also have academy factotums. Uh, you get another table actually for it, um, and it essentially sets you up with what kind of a role you have within it and therefore what background you get. So a student gets acolyte or guild artisan, a noble, an outlander, a sage, or an urchin. If you're a professor, you become an acolyte, an entertainer, a folk hero, noble, or sage background. So it links your backgrounds into your patron as well, yep. which is really nice. Uh, it actually goes deeper than I thought. Um, and there's academy quests as well. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming they're just kind of sample quests that that group benefactor would send you on yeah uh crypto geography you search for proof of a hidden land or that the world isn't structured as commonly assumed okay so like each one of these is a giant plot hook to run almost a subplot in the background of your homebrew campaign i have trouble seeing how this can be applied to the actual published modules the adventure paths themselves don't necessarily lean into this you'll have to do a little bit extra leg work. There's going to be some extra leg work to bring like an academy into Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. So for an ancient being, you have like an elder dragon, a lich, a bound fiend, a guardian celestial, uh, someone who can't die. So it's the endless, but you're just an immortal or a primal manifestation. And so there's a bunch there. There's aristocrats like local lords and ambitious entrepreneurs. There's uh, criminal syndicates, magical arms de- dealers. Pirate fleets, things like that. Um, Let me see. There are different guilds. You're flipping through pages a lot. There's a lot of information here. Yeah, there's many pages for each with um, different tables for each one of them as well. So for different guilds, you have uh, like a crafter's guild, a merchant consortium, money changers, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, Oh, God. Military forces are for mercenary companies, hordes, planar conscripts. Ooh. Right? So there's some neat things. Religious orders are undead hunters, relic collectors, militant inquisitors. Belongs in a museum. (laughs) Right? Um, Sovereigns, village elder, young noble, shipwrecked governor, hidden power. All right? So there's a lot. And then there's being your own patron as well is a section in here. How does that work? Okay. Well, it's it's only a half page. So I'm going to skim this really quickly. For some players, the idea of running a crime syndicate, mercenary company, arcane scholars collection, or other organization is far more exciting than working for someone else. Founding your own organization offers a greater deal of autonomy, um, though potentially at the cost of support and reliable work. When you're the boss, the perks of belonging to an organization become expenses you have to worry about. When you run your own organization, use the running a business downtime activity described in the DMG. Okay, cool. Um, you get things like a, if the business earns a profit... Multiply that profit by four plus the number of characters who took part in the downtime activity. So there's a couple of mechanics here. Okay, so. cool. Uh, that feels like that entire thing is kind of pulled from uh, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, well, the, the running a business part of the DMG, I think, is what's going to lean on. Acquisitions Incorporated also leaned on that section as well. So the two are going to go uh, hand in hand and complement each other quite nicely. Okay. So I honestly, that's worth its weight in gold for me. Oh, yeah. That's, that's worth the price of the book. For me, the group patrons. You think? Absolutely. From a DM standpoint, and then also from a player standpoint, for fleshing out your background. Your background and your backstory are the things that are often overlooked as part of the uh, character building process. Everybody focuses on class first and then race or vice versa. And then the background is a 
just a super afterthought, right? This not only ties your background into having some sort of like major feature in your character build, yep. but it also ties it to more of a reason of why you are adventuring because we don't get any of that shit in the player's handbook. Why you are adventuring is, oh, sometimes you get wanderlust and that's about as far as it gets, right? <laughs> and so I like that there's a little bit more to it and there are all these campaign hooks in there. For someone who's homebrewing, or someone who's just excited about building interesting characters with the background, you very likely could roll a bunch of D6s and see what you land on. Cool. I like it. All right, so we're going to start with the next chapter here. We're halfway through the book, and uh, this is going to be the fun thing for me, personally. This is the Magical Miscellany. This will be uh, new spells, new items, new all that. Um, we're met with a fantastic picture of uh, Demon Lord Gratz. And uh, Tasha having a lovely conversation through a magic mirror. If you want to know more. I love that. When you're talking to Grast, it's like, you know, magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And he's like, me. Me. Yeah, it's, it's me. Yeah. It's me. I mean, look at this. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. The top of the section of spells, which is what I'll cover here, is, of course, Tasha's uh, wonderful wit on display. Well, darn. Whatever could have happened to the spells, Mordenkainen's bountiful back padding... Heward's hot air and all the rest. I'm sure I submitted the spells they insisted I include herein. Seems they got lost in the shuffle. Shame. So this uh, section is going to detail some um, new spells plus some um, other spells that have are getting a bit of a rework by the looks of it. Are they getting reprinted into a more of a compendium book? Is that what it is? Like it's coming out of other, like some of the adventure paths have some and sometimes... Uh... Well, like I'm, Skag, I think, is getting a lot of reprint in here. Skag is getting an awful lot of reprint in here. But one of the things that I'm kind of worried about is I see, like, Booming Blade. And I'm pretty sure Booming Blade is in Xanathar's, is it not? I thought that was a Sword Coast. If it's a Sword Coast, then that makes sense. Yes, it would be a Sword Coast. It is not in Xanathar's. I just checked. So these are just mostly reprints then. Well, um, a lot of them, there's a, there's a lot of summoning stuff, which is new in here as well. Yeah, that's true. So I'm just going to go through the list uh, for Evocation. We get three new spells or reprints of spells. They're Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade, and Lightning Lure. We've seen these before. For Enchantment, we get a new cantrip. For Cantrips, we get five new spells, three Evocation, one Enchantment, one Conjuration. Your Evocation spells are Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade, and Lightning Lure. These are reprints. We've seen yeah. these before. Um, Mind Sliver, I think, is a new spell. This, sure. This yeah, I, that new. doesn't ring a bell. Um, it's an enchantment and sword burst, which is a conjuration, which we know about. Uh, for first level, we only get the one, which is Tasha's Caustic Brew. Um, for second level, we get two new spells. One's a conjuration, one's an enchantment. Um, our conjuration spell is Summon Beast. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm amazed we didn't have that already. I mean, we have. I'm, I'm, we used to have Summon Nature's Ally. This would be that. Summon Nature's Ally in previous editions. Wasn't that like a forest spirit? Uh, no, it was like animals and stuff as well. Was it? Yeah. Um, we also have the enchantment Tasha's Mind Whip. I wonder if she got that one from Gratz. Or from Terry. Meh. They're really one of the same. Um, Terry wishes. <laughs> uh, for third level, this is where we start getting a big boost. We got uh, five third level spells. Abjuration spell called Intellect Fortress. A necromancy spell named Spirit Shroud. 
We have two new summon conjuration spells, which are summon Fey and summon Shadow Spawn. Sure. Guys, we're going Feywild. We might as well go Shadowfell. That makes sense. We also have a new Summon Undead Necromancy spell. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Why haven't we had Summon Undead before yeah, now? Well, honestly, they're filling in gaps that I'm like, well, fuck, right. Yes, of course. Fourth level, we get three new spells. All of them Conjuration, Summon Abjuration, uh, sorry, Summon Aberration, Summon Construct, Summon Elemental. Yep. Yep. All tracks. Fifth level, we get one. Summon Celestial. It's Conjuration, because of course it is. Sixth level, we get two. We get Summon Fiend. Okay. Okay. Um, and Tasha's Otherworldly Guise, which is a transmutation spell. Yeah. Okay. Uh, seventh level, we get Dream of the Blue Veil, which is a Conjuration spell. And we don't get any new eighth level spells, but we do get a new ninth level spell called Blade of Disaster, which is a Conjuration spell. So this is all Conjuration heavy, right? Conjuration and Enchantment. Yeah. That tracks for Tasha. That makes a certain amount of sense. Really does. Do you want me to break down some of the new ones? No, not really. No. Well, it sounds like we're getting a lot of uh, summoning, which is really good. Summoning has been kind of lax up until this point. It's been kind of ignored in 5th edition, so I'm glad they're focusing on that. What's that uh, What's that ninth level spell, though? Uh, can we give Bl- a pro- just a breakdown of that? Okay. See if it's as good as we think. Blade of Disaster is a ninth level conjuration spell. It's got a cat- Also the name of your penis. Yeah. Wait, blade because it's thin, disastrously so. That's kind of rude. It's very rude, Dan. But okay, <laughs> it's casting times a bonus action. There it is. So it's quick too. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> um, its range is sixty feet. It'll get you. Yikes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's verbal and somatic component. Uh, con- uh, it's concentration spell up to a minute. You create a blade-shaped planar rift about three feet long in unoccupied space. You could see. A blade-shaped planar rift. Yeah. So just like a... A a tear in reality. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, The blade lasts for duration. When you cast a spell, you can make up to two melee spell attacks with the blade, each one against a creature, loose object, or structure within five feet of the blade. On a hit, that target takes 4d12 force damage, and and it crits on an 18 or higher. Holy shit, that's big. I was going to say 4d12 means potentially 4. But it is force damage, which is, you know, not many things are are vulnerable or um, resistant to it, right? Oh, it gets worse. Or, or better. sorry, better. Yeah, okay. On a crit, not only does it crit on an 18 to 20, it also does 3 times damage on a crit, dealing 12d12 damage. Does it do 12d12 or is on it 4d12 cr- times 3? On a critical hit... The blade deals an extra 8d12 force damage okay. for a total of 12d12 yeah, force okay. damage. So it doesn't actually just triple your number. No, it just says you're... You dealing. roll more dice. Yeah. yeah. As a bonus action on your turn for the up to a minute, you can move the blade up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space you can see and then make two melee spell attacks with it again. The blade can harmlessly pass through any barrier, including a wall of force. Yikes. That's big. Well, that's why it's a ninth level spell. Yep. Um it I don't know, it it it, it I I'd say it feels a bit weak for a ninth level spell. The fact that it is a bonus action, it passes through every freaking barrier. Does it say that you can see or does it just say um you have to make uh n- no you, you can make up to two melee spell attacks with the blade, each one against a creature, loose object, or structure within five feet of the blade. As a bonus action, you can move 
uh, the blade up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space you can see and then make two melee okay. spell attacks. Um, the blade can harmlessly pass through any barrier. This is so you have to see where it goes, not necessarily where it attacks. Yeah, and this is a super spiritual weapon then. Yeah, this is spiritual weapon on crack. Uh, yeah. Is there a material component? Uh, no, it's verbal and somatic. That is why this is a ninth level spell, because it's cheap. It's cheap, it's easy, it lasts a long time, and it deals a hell of a... You could do 24d12 damage well, you keep in quite mind, easily with this thing. Yeah, and you keep in mind, too, that... As a bonus action. How do you figure 24? You get two attacks and oh, it crits yeah, on an okay. 18. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, and that's a 15% crit, right? That's big. As a bonus action. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm leveling up a wizard just to get this and to sit down and relax because there's your fight. Who gets it? Just wizards? Um, it should say... It says sorcerers, sorcerers, warlocks, and wizards. So arcane casters. Arcane casters. Uh... I mean, not a bombs, pact of but. a pact of the blade warlock with this is his ninth level, like that single ninth level spells tracks. Yeah, I know. I really like that. Right. Um, I just really want to talk real quick about the summon abilities. Um, it does detail what you could do, but it also gives you a stat block um, for the aberrations you can summon. So it says you could summon like a beholder kin slot or spirit spawn, and then gives you a stat block which changes depending on what specific thing you you. Oh, go. so you're summoning spirits, much like fine familiars, not actually. So like you, you get a celestial spirit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, summon beast is giving you a bestial spirit, which gives you uh, you choose between an air, land, or water creature. Uh, that's the way that the Beastmaster thing was set up too. This entire book feels like it's meant for customization. It does. And each of these summon spells isn't like, if you're summoning a construct, you're not summoning a Modron. You are summoning, well, I mean, you it might look like a Modron. Um, but it's in just, fact, it says the creature resembles a golem or a Modron of your choice, but its stat block is the one that is used here. Well, you know what? That saves us from having to fuck around with the monster manual and flip pages. And As a DM, that is the thing I hated the most about summon anything yeah, th- in previous editions. This really editions. streamlines it, and I like that quite a bit. Yep. Um, and it does that all the way through for summon shadow spawns, summon undead, summon fiend. It does the same. They are spirits of that thing. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so um, that's all the spells. I mean, there's a bunch in here that attaches specific flavor, which, I mean, you could expect kind of witchy hag flavor to them of all. Of course, yep. Um, and read them at your own uh, leisure. Uh, it does give a little section here for personalizing your spells. Um, Tasha herself says, when I first learned magic from Baba Yaga, which Baba Yaga's her mom, everybody. Well, adopted mother. Adopted mother, yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't help but add spectral chicken legs to all my spells. She said that she wasn't a fan, but I caught her grinning a few times. So, of course, I still add those legs. What use is magic if you can't harness it to amuse your mom, Tasha? Aw. Aw, so sweet. So, basically, what this does is gives you an option to add special flavor to your spells. Um, there's a D10 kind of chart here um, that uh, gives you some themes that you could build into like book pages, origami, quills, and ink, all accompanied by rustling sounds and library scents whenever you cast your spells. Yeah, okay. This is just flavor to put on it top is of it. There's nothing mechanical here. Nothing mechanical. Okay. Um, honestly, we've talked about this in the past on some of our um, spellcasting episodes where we're like, hey, just because it's Bigby's hand doesn't mean it has to be literally Bigby's hand. If you are a, if you are a lizard folk with... with 
four fingers or you're an Eric Okra with a talon. That could be what your hand looks like. Like, yeah. flavor it the way that you want to do it. I'm glad that they're just kind of reinforcing that. They do listen to the podcast. Yeah. Um, um, the one thing that I really like here. We should write 6th edition. We should write 6th edition. Hire us. Yay. Don't just sponsor us. Hire us. Yeah, there we go. Um, anyways, uh, the one thing that I note here that I am definitely going to uh, apply to my next character. Bursts and strokes of watercolor painted by an invisible brush. Sure. It just like just the feel of that. Like this this uh the feeling of your strokes? Of the watercolor painting, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. It just feels really, really cool. I like the feeling that it gives you for your magic spells and personalizing them. Adam, what do we got next? We've got magic items are up next. Now it looks like we've got a metric shit ton. No, not as many as you'd think, honestly. Really? Yeah, I'm seeing about mm, in the range of about forty. There's also, on in this chart, it lists the rarity, the name of the item, but then whether or not it requires attunement. So you can, at a glance, figure out which ones you should go for. Oh. But the common ones that you're all excited about are either the prosthetic limb, which is from Eberron, so that's getting a reprint, or three different tattoos. Which, I mean, we did that tattoo episode on the UA. Yeah, so this is going to be a lot of the similar stuff. Um, now, it looks like a significant portion of these. Like a, a decent amount of these are tattoos, um, especially the low-level stuff. Do they function the same as we saw before in the UA, uh, roughly? Oh man. You're asking me to dig into the actual... All right, hold on a sec. So there's a whack of uncommon. There's even more rare. And then there's one, two, three, four, five very rare. One legendary, which is just a tattoo. Hmm. And then six artifacts. Okay. So, magical tattoos... Um, the rarer the tattoo is, the more space it typically occupies on a creature's skin once it's inscribed on a creature's body. Damage or injury doesn't impair the tattoo's function, even if it's defaced. Uh, you can customize it, the tattoo's appearance. Magic tattoo can look like a brand, scarification, birthmark, patterns of scale, or any other cosmic alteration. Sorry, cosmetic alteration. Cosmic alteration. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, this one's a tentacle. Then it gives you the how much of your body it's going to cover um, portion. Um... And then there are, yeah, it looks like it's very, very similar. It has a tattoo attunement, which looks like, from my memory, the same. Okay. Um, I'm sure that the flavor text is slightly different because that was UA and they will have updated it. Yeah. But it's very much in the same realm as, as the previous um, the the previous UA was. And as a matter of fact, you can even see in the artwork here, there is a half work with little spectacles. Cool. Yeah, that's actually tattooing with what looks like a chisel. Uh, looks like it's almost like the Maori style of tattooing by the looks of it. Yeah. And, uh, and that, my friend, he is tattooing it onto a punk half elf with a bunch of like facial piercings. That's pretty bad. And a pierced nipple. Yep. Yep. I like, there's now pierced nipples in D&D. There always were, my friend. You just weren't lifting up people's shirts. Bet you Dave's excited. Dave. Dave used to have two pierced nipples. I know yeah. he used to have two used pierced to. nipples. Yeah. Yeah. Right into the show if you would like to hear about his unfortunate incident with the uh, electric fence and why he doesn't have pierced nipples anymore. <laughs> so, um, yes, we've got just really quickly. Uh, I'm going to. Sure, there's tattoos. Everybody knows that. But here are the names of the artifacts Baba Yaga's Mortar and Pestle. Oh, that's going to be fun. The Crook of Rao. Ooh. The Demonomicon of Igwilv, which is 
Tasha. Tasha's. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's Tasha. Yeah, Tasha has the Demonomicon. Luba's Taraka of Souls. We have the Mighty Servant of Liku. Liko. Liko? Mighty Servant of Licking? Of Liuko. Okay. And then the Teeth of Dalvernar. I am so curious to get... So, a Mortar and Pestle, a book, a stick, some teeth, and That's a very... and a dude? Like a, a, a servant? Um, the Taraka of Souls, too. So, this is uh, created by a figure of Vistani legend. Because the, there's a Taraka deck, right? Yeah. So, there's something... like This looks like it's a deck of cards. Oh, no. That oh, no. also revealed great evils and guided its creator into a path of nefarious forces. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, please learn your uh, lesson from the deck of many things. Oh. Giving players decks of cards is a bad idea. Random properties, spells, enduring vision, twist of fate, wheel, woe, prisoners of fate. Oh my god. Shuffling fate, destroying the deck. There's a lot here. This is this is boner inducing. Is this a reprint basically from And the Mighty Servant of Liuko is a huge construct. Okay. That is essentially it you control the servant. There's a god oh, it's part of Ghost in the Machine. There's a self-destruct. There's a lot of cool shit in this. Um the teeth of Dalvernar, it looks like Dalvernar was a dragon. Oh. Yep. You roll on the table to determine uh, to draw one of the teeth. Wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot, oh my god, there's a lot of shit here. Nope, no, nope. it's just a bunch of teeth, and you can summon a dragon by accident, or two incubi, nine cats, one vampire, <laughs> nine cats, three oni, <laughs> one unicorn, a tarasque, or, um, uh, 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 or a priest. Or a priest. Yeah. An old one or a young one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there we go. Those are the, that's like a quick break. The magic items look like they're a lot of fun. Again, this looks like it's more of a um, a opportunity for DMs to find inspiration for what they can drop as big game changers with the artifacts. I always like seeing the artifacts, but it looks like it's mostly tattoos um, or really flavorful Tasha level stuff as well. So, Okay, so um, we're going to move on to chapter four here. Um, we're, we're kind of in the home run, the, the home stretch, home stretch. That's the word. I know sports. Um, Jesus, the, the, the picture here. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Tasha playing wizard's chess with Mordenkainen as a lore nerd. Yeah. I want this framed on my wall. Yeah. That's pretty fun because it's also Mordenkainen losing to Tasha. She's cheating. Oh, 100% she is. Anyways, uh, so chapter four is the Dungeon Master Tools. And, um, I mean, they are going to start off with session zero. As they should. As they should have way back when. Um, Tasha's little quote, establish boundaries. And if anyone crosses them, speak up. And if they don't listen, there's always cloud kill. Uh, so, she, yeah, Tasha listens to the podcast for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, there is... Uh, a step-by-step uh, thing into your session zero, which includes the car- uh, character and party creation, saying build your characters together in a session zero. I've always been a proponent of sitting down at a table in your first session to build characters, um, including the party formation, um, which lets you kind of know that your party's starting off as a party rather than discovering each other. Yeah. Um, for newer campaigns, If I you want say- to discover each other, you turn the lights off and... Put on some they haven't music. released that book yet. No, okay. Yeah. Um, this includes also uh, a group patron, by the way. Yeah, it does. Um, 
It also includes tips for running a game for a single player in the terms of Session Zero. So running a game for one player. Um, Then it will break through the social contract, which includes things like hard and soft limits and what you're willing to... Safe words. um, A soft limit is a threshold that one should think twice about crossing as it is likely to create genuine anxiety, fear, and discomfort. Discomfort. Whereas a hard limit is a threshold that should never be crossed. Yep. These are things you talk about in your uh, session zero every single time. Don't kink shame. Yeah, exactly. Um, finally, there's game customization in your games, which you will cover in a session zero, which includes um, which three of the pillars of adventuring, combat, exploration, and role-playing. Hey-o. Hey-o, they listen to the podcast, interest you the most. Um, how much humor do you like? What level of technology do you prefer? Do you enjoy solving in-game puzzles and riddles? And do you, uh, how do you want to track experience and leveling up? As well as other house rules. These are all things that we've talked about. Um, and it really goes, it gives you like a page and a half on social contract. Um, Which is good. I mean, I'm sure, does it give you a checklist or is it just kind of guidelines? Um, it, it's just kind of guidelines. Um, that's, that's okay. Every table is going to be different. Every table is going to be different. I never like session zero checklists. I see them all over the place, especially on Instagram and, and Reddit. It's, and I it's going like to vary yeah. table to table, right? But I mean, the first sentence is D&D, and I agree with this full heartedly, is first and foremost meant to be a fun for all experience. Anything you're doing in your game is going to limit the fun of other people around the table. It's not worth doing. We keep talking on the podcast about how adversarial DMing is not okay. And this is... Adversarial playing is also not okay. And that's against other players at the table. Bradley. So the next thing in here is uh, for sidekicks. Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Creating a sidekick. uh, Gaining a sidekick class. So you have starting level, leveling up a sidekick, hit points, proficiency bonus, ability score increases. Hey, Adam. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, you're wrong. No, I don't think I am. Uh, I think you're with me on this one. Gaining sidekicks is really easy. You just start a podcast and get them on it, right? Dan, this is rude. It's just rude. And you're implying that Terry's not a sidekick because he started it with us. Oh, I guess that's true. So that's why you're wrong. <laughs> Terry, we love you. Um, so Sidekick Terry. That's um, his new name. <laughs> Uh, better than side piece terry am i right no he would disagree um (laughs) so there is how to oh my god these are like little mini classes for the expert you got first level expert features second level third level and it like your proficiency bonus goes up are they npc classes like legit npc classes yeah i want to start a campaign where you're a sidekick and then spellcasters so there's expert spellcasters a warrior yeah, man, that's that's so cool how they've done this. And it is it has a full like progression table the way that the subclasses or the way that all the I classes am do. on board. For example, the warrior at first level gets uh, bonus proficiencies and a martial role. At second level, they get second wind one use. At third level, they get improved critical. At fourth level, they get an ability score improvement. This right. yeah, this is something. Um, what we have done before in our campaigns that we haven't really mentioned much here is when you start a character, you tend to get a shopping list almost, and one of those things that you get on there is the option to have a trusted NPC that is guaranteed off the bet uh, off the bat to be trustworthy until the end of the campaign. Yeah, right. This is a great codification for that, where you have your character has. 100% trust that this NPC will never backstab you, has your best interest in heart, 
because you have purchased purchased this NPC at the beginning of the game. I love this for that because then that NPC can level up with you. I also want to point out that under the warrior, it says a warrior sidekick grows in uh, martial prowess as it fights by your side. It might be a soldier, a town guard, a battle trained beast, or any other creature honed for combat. So this right here fixes the ranger's animal companion shit. Give it one of these. Give them one of these. And like the beast masters even more. And then they can summon even more on that top of that. They can become a bit of a general. Sure. And they can build it that way. But now anybody can have a, a pet dog. Does hit dice go up? Um, uh, one second. I got to flip back because there was something about that. Uh, hit points. Whenever the sidekick gains a level, gains one hit die. And its hit point maximum increases. To determine the amount of the increase, roll the hit die, um, and it appears in the in its stat block. So, so I'm I'm assuming like a warrior's a d8, a expert's a d6, and a caster's a d4. I'm trying to find out where it says that. I'm assuming they're kind of lower level for the hit dice pool. But this is the thing: a lot of groups I've heard don't like bringing in animal companions and stuff. Like, don't ever name your horse because you know it's just going to die. Guess what, friend? You're a paladin and you have a preferred horse. You have a, like, divine steed. There's the one you summon, right? I would, I would, find steed. I would let you summon a, uh, sidekick level steed with fine steed. Your, uh, fine familiar, your pack to the chain warlock probably has one of these. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're absolutely wrong. You know what this is? It says that it's, uh, it's in the sidekick's stat block. There's no stat block here, but you add uh, the constitution modifier. You create a sidekick from the monster manual or another D&D book, but the challenge rating has to in its stat block must be half or lower. So you use the hit die that's provided to it. I'm sorry, pardon? When you create a sidekick, it can be any type of creature with a stat block in the monster manual or another D&D book, but the CR has to be half or lower. So that's how you find out the hit die. And yes, it does progress. It levels fucking rights there we go like this this is, is worth the price of admission for yeah me. absolutely nothing else in this book has piqued my interest like this yeah that changes everything for rangers uh for rangers for, oh, pack for, of the chain, for everybody you could be a stock fighter with just a couple of ranks in animal handling you don't and get one of these you don't need to take fine familiar anymore if you just, i mean it's radically different than actually having a, a companion a sidekick right but you don't need that in order to get a familiar. You get a spell casting cat. You could get a quasit um, and make it a warrior. You absolutely could, yeah. Right? Like, I, I love this field. This, I, well, the one thing I would say is I would limit this to one per player. Quasits are too high. Their, their CR is too high. Okay. Well, uh, uh, an imp. I guess imps no. are CR1 as well. Yeah, they are CR1. You can get um, uh, half orc. Uh, yeah, in theory, yes. I mean, the, some of the examples they give you are like a goblin, a uh, a furbolg, an asamara. Yeah, there's a, there's a turtle here. There is a tabaxi. There's a, a winged kobold. Yeah. Next is uh, a a good tip for dungeon masters who kind of struggle in this, and I know I have in the past, which is parlaying with monsters. Uh, Tasha says, why fight if a lovely chat is possible? If things get out of hand, just show yourself out with a dimension door. Sounds like Tasha. Yep. Okay. Basically what this is, is giving you rules to, uh, running a social encounter with a monster 
that may or may not speak your language. Which is really useful because there are things like manticores and, and bullywugs that don't necessarily speak common, mm-hmm. um, but do have their own languages. Well, this is where, I, and I think one of the big gems in this section is going to be the monster research tab, which shows you what skill is required to research what type of monster. Thank you. That is so fucking Finally, useful. we yeah. have this. Where it's like aberrations are arcana, um, dragons are arcana, history or nature, uh, giants are strictly history. That makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Um, a monstrosity. I've been running my own version of this on the side anyway for when it comes to this shit. And oh, what can I know? What do I inherently know about uh, mind flayers? And you used to do that shit to me all the time because you're an inquisitive. And I just wanted to fucking throttle you, Dan. But now that it's codified, I just have something I can flip to here. Right. Um, One of the things I like is undead are arcana or religion. Yeah. They've used to be just religion in previous editions. Yep. So I'm on board. Now, with the breakdowns, I mean, you got your aberrations, your beasts, your celestials, constructs, dragons, etc. Sure. What do you um, need to be able to talk to plants? Um, nature? To be, I mean, come on. Yeah, no, it's nature. Yeah. And oozes? Oozes are arcana or survival. Cool. Because they have that base nature, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 this yeah. is giving you a little bit more of a boost in survival as well because it's horribly underused. It is. It's poorly defined and underused. Yeah. yeah. So um, what this does is this gives you a D4 chart for each one of your uh, kind of subcategories of monster yeah. as to their desires. So if your party comes across a dragon and needs to parlay with it and you don't know what that dragon's desires are. Then you're doing it wrong, but sure. Then you're doing it wrong. I, I It's just the one I chose in front of me. Roll a D4 and this, say you get a three. Well... This dragon wants an antique passed down at least three generations, right? This gives you the desires for that thing. If you're fighting a news and you're trying to parlay with a news through survival or whatever it is, um, and you roll a D4 and you get a two, you get a cloth bearing a noxious odor. So just, you know, get the barbarian to take off his loincloth. Oh, so these are not... Okay, so this is how you get on its good side. Yeah. That's what this is. This these, isn't these about are, these are tokens that will aid in a. This is not about a character or about a creature's motivation. This is about how to bribe it. Yeah, pretty much. This. Beauty. And it, that's and that's what this is. Like meeting a monster doesn't have to spark a fight. An offering will. This is this is fantastic. This allows you the ability to throw down some food for a guard dog. Or yeah, shit, right? literally, fresh meat is one of the options for beasts. Yeah, see, that's perfect. Yep. Um, undead, you, a vial of blood, yeah, right? D- depending on the undead, that makes a certain amount of sense. I, I could just see a skeleton with some like echoes of its personality in the back of its mind. You give it a vial of blood and it goes, I have blood now. And then your party can just walk by it. Well, yeah, except they don't speak, but yeah. I love Kieran. Anyways. <clears throat> so up next is... I think was going to be my favorite thing. Okay. Um, environmental hazards. Specifically, I've been waiting for supernatural regions. There was a leak about this online, and it was the spoiler that I got ahead of time that this kind of shit existed. How dare you? Um, uh, so you're saying that this is going to go over basically NPC class breakdowns and in, in, in importance for you. Oh, yeah. You think? Oh, yeah. So, um, as a DM tool, this section explores how to add fantastical challenges to any locale 
in ways to further bring an adventure's setting to life. Oh. Okay, supernatural regions do have blessed radiance effects. For example, one character in the region is suffused with celestial power. For one minute, the character's melee attacks deal an extra 2d6 radiant damage on a hit. Oh. These are, when you enter a supernatural region, they've got a d100 table with a shit ton of options for blessed radiance effects. If you're in like a, a blessed area, um, if you go into a far realm infused section, um, so if which is space, by the way. Well, consider uh, rolling on the Far Realm effects table when the following circumstances occur. In a region touched by the Far Realms. A warlock whose otherworldly patron is a great old one rolls a 1 to 20 on the d20 for an ability check, an attack roll or a saving throw, could trigger one of these. The characters take a short or long rest in the region could trigger one of these. Cool. A creature spends more than an hour reading an eldritch tome written by those who have seen or otherwise interacted with the Far Realm. So, uh, let me grab a short one here. Um, 37 to 45 on this D100 table for Far Realm. And, like, there are many of these. But here's this. The, the landscape melts into a mass of writhing flesh, eyes, and fanged mouths. Uh, from an unoccupied space in the fleshy ground arise 1D4 plus 5 gibbering mouthers that attack anyone on sight. Okay, so your warlock, who's an idiot, because, of course, he is, because he's a warlock, um... Is reading a like his book it's, of shadows. It's not even that. It's one to twenty for an any ability check, saving throw, or attack roll. This this is the like thing I'm planning. Like reading this at night on his watch, and suddenly transports himself and the entire party onto a plane of fleshy ground, and four gibbering mouthers get up, and to get out, you have to kill the mouthers, and then things will go back to normal. Oh. So, so Blessed Radiance is for a section where the Upper Plains has touched a region. Okay. All right. We've got uh, the Far Realm effects for when the Far Realm touches an area. Um, for Showing the doll where the Far Realm has touched you. Yeah, right. Um, haunted Houses have one. Oh. So for Haunted So regions, there's actually haunts and terrors. Yes, I'm on board. Uh, infested. So um, when uh, rolling... Sorry, uh, consider rolling on the infested effects table when the following circumstances occur in a region. Um, and this is whenever you're in a place that's been overrun. The picture that they have is a town covered in spiderwebs with giant spiders. So, well, Sorry, Megan. Yeah, so <laughs> um, if there are webs, cocoons, hives, anthills, or other insect dwellings that are disturbed. If a creature attacks an insect swarm or a small or large insect, such as a giant centipede or giant spider in the region. These can be or, other region effects as well. That's or a great. creature begins a short or long rest. It could just trigger. For example, on a 56 to 60, the ground opens up beneath one random creature, creating a quicksand pit. Okay, so what if it's on a short or long rest, how do you roll to trigger one of these? On a, So when they say, all right, we're going to take a short or long rest... First of all, I would let them complete it. Otherwise, it isn't a short or long rest. So upon completion of one, okay, as it ends, otherwise, it's just them pausing, right? Yeah. So it doesn't count as a rest. They don't get the benefits. Therefore, technically, it doesn't work. So when that happens, I will have, oh, whoever has the lowest, let's say, wisdom score. I might, I, myself as a DM, may roll a D100, but I like to involve my players. Is it, well, is it, a, what is the? Roll percentile dice. Just roll. When that happens, it triggers one of these random encounters. But do you roll a dice to trigger the D100 roll? Nope. Because it says, could happen when you cast Consider this. rolling 
when one of the following circumstances. This is DM discretion. Okay. So DMs, a lot of these sound pretty, you know, they, they, they sound like they hit pretty hard. So this shouldn't be every single short rest you deal with this not, thing. Right? Not always. I just picked hitting, like hard hitting ones. Uh, the region is choked with wispy webbing, which acts as difficult terrain. Okay. So like some of them are, are more brutal than others. If I'm going to enter a town and I'm going to be rolling in this D100 table, I'm going to look at this first. Okay. And determine which ones I don't like or I might replace. This is going to be extremely useful for a future campaign I'm planning. Yeah, this is great for random encounters. So we have an infested area. We've got a mirror zone. A mirror zone occurs where planar and magical energies converge and create a place of reflections. Creatures, objects, and energy reflect, refract, duplicate, or are transported elsewhere. Such locations arise from the intrusion of a theorized plane of mirrors upon the material plane, or where powerful magic governing transition, protection, or divination had unexpected results. So if this happens right around, and then, like, if you're in one of these mirror zones, and then a creature shatters a mirror, or uses any teleportation magic, or casts an illusion, or impersonates another creature, suddenly, random crazy shit happens. One character in the region gains the benefit of the mirror image spell. The images created sometimes move or speak of their own volition. I I just love the idea of you walking into this little realm and, you know, you see different versions of yourself. Like you see one guy with a goatee when you don't. One guy with a top hat. One guy with like a monocle. Like they're all obviously you, but like twisted and deformed versions or. Yeah. The next one is wherever there's psychic resonance. Okay. Yeah. There's I think there's a lot of psychic where, in this book. Where magic is unraveling in a zone. While magic zone is good to have. That also helps with the campaign world I'm building. Um, and then you get, um, oh, holy shit, like there's so much. There's uh, magical phenomena as well, um, including eldritch storms. Okay. Um, emotional echoes, enchanted springs, magical mushrooms. Oh, we have those already. Magic uh, mushrooms. Uh, mushrooms can be deadly, delicious, or both. Some of magical properties, especially those that grow in area infused by mystical energies, such as the Underdark and the Feywild. Mimic colonies. Oh, there they are. We have a new stat block for new kind of mimic. Challenge rating zero, and it's a juvenile mimic. It is tiny. I have a question. Yep. Can I, if that's a challenge rating less than half creature, could I have a mimic NPC sidekick? Yes, apparently yes. Freaking A. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The artwork here is of two old women sitting in chairs that that are obviously mimics. There's a chest that is a mimic. There's there's an awning above them with fucking teeth. And and the porch they're on has teeth. So they're like sitting in the mouth of a giant mimic. The teapot and cups that they're holding are mimics. The hanging pots are mimics. Dear friends, everything's a mimic. Everything is a mimic. You never know what you're going to get. So, yeah. Mimic communication. Confronting a colony. Oh my god, there's... What happens when you get primal fruit? I don't even know what primal fruit is, but there it is. Uh, that is from, I believe, Theros. Is it actually part of Theros? I, I'm per, like it's it's the like finding the fruit that gives you like eternal life or whatever it is, right? Like that fits a lot of the Theros pulling from Greek mythology. Unearthly roads is another one. Unearthly roads, okay. Yeah, um, and then after that, it gets into actual natural hazards. How to run avalanches? Wow. How to uh, deal with uh, falling into water, falling onto a creature, and spell equivalents of natural hazards. Um, like ball lightning is like a chromatic orb. Uh, fog operates like fog cloud. 
Stuff like that, right? Okay, so natural disasters have, or natural effects have spell-like things that you can run as a DM. Okay, that's useful. That's incredibly useful. Yeah, for example, if you want a tidal wave, go to the spell Tsunami. Cool. To look for inspiration. So, like, there's a lot about settings in here and magical shit about, oh my god, there's so much in here. Okay. That is fucking amazing. That changes everything. Well, Adam, it's about to get even better. Because I know you, and you know me, and... I know you like running puzzles, and I know I like running and solving puzzles. And guess what? Tashis has some help for us in puzzle making as a DM, as well as ways to... If you're playing a smart character and you're dumb as a bag of hammers, there's ways you could get hints. Um, This is something I had to struggle with before. Yes, I just called myself dumb as a bag of hammers. Moving on. Um, Dan, how many bags have just hammers in them? Many. All right. I don't know what you're doing with a, just a fucking grocery bag full of six hammers. But. Uh, I mean, there's different types of hammers. There's claw hammers, ball peen hammers. You could have sledgehammers. You could have... How many sledgehammers are in your grocery bag, Dan? I have, personally, hammers I use frequently, at least seven. In a grocery bag? Not in a grocery bag. They're in a tool bag, but it's still a bag of hammers. You're a bag of hammers. Dumb is one, yes. So why create a solvable puzzle? Just pose an enigma- uh, enigmatic question without an answer and watch your trespassers squirm, Tasha. Okay, don't actually do that. No, no. If you're DMing, have, you're doing that. Have you're an, an answer. answer. Yeah. So um, this gives you ideas of why to use puzzles in your D&D, which friends use puzzles. It activates that section of the brain that isn't combat. It's a good way to employ the exploration side of the game. I mean, we've talked about puzzles before. Use your bloody puzzles. There's some other reasons why here. Um Puzzle elements. It kind of tells you how to... Uh, is it just creating and building puzzles? Or uh, is it giving you example puzzles to use? It, it is, uh, yes, both. Okay. Um, and it, when it gives you a puzzle, it's going to give you tips to customizing it for your own purposes as well. Um, it also gives you, uh, with the puzzles, an idea called hint checks, which give you several different kind of checks you could take to get a hint on how to solve it. Sure. Okay. Do you use your int score for your hint check? Um, it's a hint check with yeah. a H. Gotcha. Yeah. However, if no character, uh, this is one thing it does say with hints, if no character has the proficiency in any listed skills, they can make ability checks using the listed skills instead. Fair. Okay. So running puzzles gives you a tip how to run a puzzle. Once you've presented one, feel free to add or clarify Good. details. This as shit you should have been in the DMG. It really should. I completely agree. It feels like Xanathar's is more of a player edition. This is the first DM edition. Well, the second half of it, anyway. Like, yeah, I mean, the I'm additional. Glad that, classes, I'm glad we didn't just get like ninety pages of magic items, right? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, so you get character, uh, sorry, creature paintings as puzzles, reckless steps as puzzles, which I guess would be like steps that turn into a ramp. Oh no, um, there is oh. There's word puzzles and number puzzles and skeleton key puzzles and um, gemstone puzzles and... All right, so... And they're giving you actual puzzles to run here or are they just giving you the broad strokes? So they're giving you actual puzzles to run. I'm going to uh, detail one of them. Sure. And and you could get the idea of what they are. Uh, this one is going to be the Eye of the Beholder puzzle. It's a difficult puzzle. Um, it's... Do they have difficulty ratings on them? They all have difficulty ratings on them, uh, from easy to uh, hard. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if there's another step above it. There isn't. And there's few. There's like 10 pages worth of puzzles here. So, 
Um, the Eye of the Beholder puzzle has a cool little uh, uh, description text like you would see in any of the sort of the adventure paths, something you read out to the players to help you. Um, this one has a goblin that has, I can help you through these parts if you figure out my riddles. Sure. Okay. Make it a Sphinx. Works too. Um, goblin's friendly and his offer is genuine. Um, its name is Igor. Pronounced Igor. Sorry. His name is Igor. Anyways, puzzle features. He does some... S- oh, young Frankenstein. Um, basically, it's Sorry. a maze you have to pick. It's pronounced Frankenstein. Um, there's a maze you have to go through. Fuck you. Like three people have seen this movie and listen to the podcast. They think I was fucking funny. Are you talking about... Frankenstein. Oh, Bride of Frankenstein? No. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein, right. God, you're the worst at everything. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. Mel Brooks movie. Yes, you I almost do. said Mel Gibson. I almost said Mel Gibson. <laughs> have you have you uh, seen the trailer for Fat Man, just as an aside? Yes. Yes, yes it's amazing. Anyways, um, magical. So basically, uh, the characters find themselves in a maze that emits magical darkness that can't be dispelled. No vision can penetrate this darkness, and only the goblin's lantern can illuminate it. Igor, Igor's lantern emits a five-foot uh, radius light, but... Only so long as the goblin himself holds it. The lantern goes dark if any other creature takes custody of it. So the goblin pops out with a puzzle that you try to find your way through uh, upon answering the goblin's riddles, which is like, what beast has the sharpest eye? What beast? An eagle. Sure. Because you have eagle. Yeah, sure. Vision, right? Okay. The stuff like that. This eye curses you with misfortune. I mean, a Medusa? Is this what we're at? Like... This is the level that we're dealing with here? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to give too many of the answers in case people want to play them. But anyways. Sure. But it gives you an idea of kind of the direction that, that you're going in with this. I like the fact that you can just give... I got to back up a second. You said that there were hint rolls. Do yes. they have hint options to these puzzles? Hint checks. Any character has the option of making these abilities checks to receive a hint. So it gives you three options to roll. You could roll a persuasion, investigation, or insight. But do they tell you what the hint is? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but they're very general. Like, the goblin provides a hint in the form of a cinnamon of the riddle's answer. A cinnamon? A, a synonym. Okay. Um, after a few riddles are answered correctly, a character notices that all the answers relate to blank. Right? Sure. Goes down like that for this. And then customizing the puzzle... Um, Characters can easily persuade the goblin to join the party. What other secrets does the goblin know? Does he have an agenda for helping the characters find their freedom? And why has he lingered in the maze if he knows the way out? There might be more to this guide than meets the eye. I get it. Yeah. Now, now I just want to point out, this for me is more about inspiring by using 10 or so examples on how the puzzles run and how to use hints and what the um, what the answers are and whatnot. This is a useful tool. I'm not sure I would run them right out of the book. They seem like good examples, but uh, I don't know. I often they're like I often struggle to find a good challenging puzzle to throw to my party because I've been playing with the same group of guys for 20 something years. We've all seen the puzzles before, yeah. right? A lot of these are unique. Some of them are pattern recognition, some of them are uh like creative in in like musical ways and stuff like that to be able to solve um it's again i'm going to use these as inspiration because any one of my guys has picked up this book and flipped through them uh yeah i mean as a there's so many options here that as a player i don't think that would even hinder 
like this this wouldn't affect my gameplay at all i would find that puzzle and knowing how to customize them um as a dm i would make sure that my players didn't quite recognize it right off the bat and if they don't recognize it right off the bat they're not going to get it yeah you make right. it a minotaur not a goblin in a maze that you know yeah that kind make of it thing. nine rooms instead of four kind of deal sure um but yeah, and this is everything from um, a you know number puzzle to finding the secret password to a thieves guild by reading a menu in a certain way, right? Like these are the kind of inspirations you could come from. Yeah, and that's fantastic. That should be the level of inspiration that we should be getting. Okay. Um, and then oh, and then there's puzzle handouts. Yep. That come with it. Um, I God, I hope people don't cut this shit out of the book. I I, I photocopy I, it. Yeah, but I wish that these were loose leaf that would get tucked in the back. You know how the maps are in the... They're kind of attached with that serrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I would want for these kind of things. I feel like people would... Uh, then you'd lose them. Well, do you lose the maps? Yes. Speaking of, there's one... Okay, so all of the different puzzles, or at least some of them anyway, seem to have uh, have puzzle handouts. So there's six of them do. And that's the rest of the book. And then the book just ends. It just suddenly is over. <laughs> Bat fur. So, so with that in mind, Dan, what are your overall impressions of this book? Uh, it's a DM helper, primarily. I, I understand even that with all a, the subclasses. I mean, half even the with book all the is subclasses, even with all the subclasses, I would say this book has its highest amount of value as a DM helper. A DM is going to go into this book far more often than a player like me who likes to build characters will. Yeah. Right. Um. Mostly because a lot of these subclasses are reprints as well, right? Like Oath of Glory, I already know where that is, right? But environmental... This makes it so that the people that don't want to buy the other campaign settings are able to get access to these subclasses. Yep. So I, I get that. I'm surprised things like the Renown system and uh, um, various other subsystems... The Piety. The Piety system, the Fate system, and like these other... I, I realize I just listed three things that come from Theros, but like those kind of systems aren't present here, right? Um because those could be used outside of the Thero system if, if if applied in a certain way, right? Yeah, but I mean, honestly, Wizard still needs to be able to sell the Theros book, right? So, like, I, yeah, you sell it for the. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, you can't pull everything out of one book and just reprint it over here. At some point, you're just going to start yelling "reprint" over and over and not picking up different different books. But the amount of new stuff in there as well is balance that out. Yeah, so I'm. I I think that overall, um, the fact that you get eighty pages of a hundred and ninety page book, uh, being player stuff, um, not including like the group patrons, I guess, is also player stuff as well. So and that goes up to about Both. page one hundred and five, right? So there's definite reasons for players to pick this up. Yes, but I'm still like I'm still picking this up after Xanathar's. As a player, but before Skag by a damn sight. I'm picking this up before Xanathar's as a DM. As a DM, you're right. I would pick this up before. Right? Like, in terms of value, that's why I say it's more of a DM helper. In terms of value, this book is going to help a DM more than it helps a player. Honestly, this feels like, okay, I'm going to use old old edition terminology here. But if Xanathar's was the PHB2 and um, Volos and Mordenkainer were the monster manual two and three yeah then this book here is the php 2.5 and the dmg 1.5 like it's a half and half it's half of another player's handbook 
And half of a Dungeon Master. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one just because a lot of the stuff that is available for the DMs feels like stuff that should have been just printed in the DMG in the beginning that they just forgot about. Well, we have to keep in mind, too, that the online community is more active than it ever has been before because, well, the internet has evolved. And 5th Edition has been out for about five years now. Yeah, and 5th Edition really pushed itself onto the internet in ways that 4th Edition failed to do. 4th Edition was supposed to be a lot of online play and whatnot as well. And I'm trying to remember what their fucking online push was. They had a big, like... Download our battle maps. In fourth here. edition, yeah, fourth. Fourth end. edition had their online character creator thing yeah. that they were going to go with, for and a it while. was and just hot shit. Never really came no, out. Nobody wanted to do it. They're- Even Five E doesn't really have their quote unquote official one because D and D Beyond is technically a separate company. Yeah, and yet we have a better um, online presence with Fifth Edition than ever before. So. I feel like they're listening to people more often. And I yes. feel like yeah. the idea that uh, the session zero and some of the stuff that we said, hey, finally, we're getting this shit. They didn't know we wanted it up until like four or five years ago. Right? Fair enough. Yeah. So um, this really does feel like the game evolving. And we will see a lot of these inclusions in the Dungeon Master's Guide um, or in uh, Player's Handbook and stuff in sixth edition. Right. Like they'll. There will be some things that are treated differently. We're, we're going to hit that point. There is one thing about this book that makes me really sad. And other than the witty little quips uh, that Tasha provides, there is no who the hell is Tasha. But there wasn't one for Mordenkainen or Volo or Xanathar and either. And I have a problem with that. Xanathar, the only reason why it's less of a problem is because of how detailed he is in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. But it should still have been... Uh, or, sorry, in Dragon Heist, but it still should have been in the book. Knowing who the hell Tasha is, knowing who the hell if, if, if Mordenkainen is. If I may, spoiler alert for some of the other books. Volo, Xanathar, and Mordenkainen all pop up as players in the in these books, as NPCs. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I expect that we will have Tasha pop up. Where does Volo pop up? He's in Dragon Heist. He's actually in a lot. He keeps popping up. He's in uh, Yawning Portal. He's okay. In, yeah, he's he's around. Like Volo pops up repeatedly. He's in Tomb of Annihilation, in in a in whatever the port is. Oh, okay. Like he's always dicking around in the background. So um, these guys, I expect we will see Tasha soon. I mean, the, especially because if I can just just cut you off for a sec, she is mentioned Greyhawk in this book. We don't really have a Greyhawk setting necessarily, and. Wizards of the Coast has said in a tweet recently that over the next, over 2021 and 2022, they're going to open up three old school campaign settings. They will be revisiting. And I expect it won't be Dragonlance because of the legal battles. Yeah. But I expect that gives us Dark Sun, that gives us Spelljammer, and that gives us, I gotta say Greyhawk, maybe? I would like to see a full fucking... I, I, I'd say we get, uh, we probably get a Forgotten Realms compendium before we get Spelljammer. No, it's different than it's outside of Forgotten Realms. They've said it's outside of Forgotten Realms? Th- yeah, these are three throwbacks that we haven't seen before, like three previous settings. So it's not going to be Dragonlance. It, yeah. I Planescape, maybe. If it's a Greyhawk book, I'm buying that day one and I'm going for it. Greyhawk is by far my favorite. I love Greyhawk. I love everything about Greyhawk. So, um, so, uh, but I expect that if we get Greyhawk, we'll see Tasha dicking around in there, right? We may see something with that leans a little bit heavier into Hags or Grazd 
or like there are so many different ways that we can bring Tasha in. They've they've dealt with the blood war. They've dealt with the princes of the apocalypse. Well, they've dealt with these other big things that were such a big point inside of uh inside of Greyhawk in traditional D&D. It only makes sense for them to go towards Greyhawk now and and if I can say you, you notice that we got Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. We got Baldur's Gate Descend into Avernus. If there is a sequel, a second one coming, I would expect that we that it makes a perfect sense that we would see Tasha and Grast and some of the some of the blood war in there. Yeah. And we may see her in her other forms beyond just Tasha on the cover here. Yeah, it'll be Igwiliv the the like witch queen. Yeah. Yeah. So um so I hear your complaint about that, and uh, I, I, it just it tracks with what they've done so far. Hold your breath. I'm going to say, give it a, within the next year, we'll see Tasha pop up inside one of the books. Okay. I fully expect that. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, honestly, the thing for me that is missing out of this is, uh, um, honestly, I, I'm disappointed that we didn't get more stat blocks, more NPCs, more like we. We got sidekicks, right? There are stat blocks all the way through this, depending on on what you're doing. I I like the variable stat block that they have for all the summon creatures and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I like these as as additions. I mean, the Steel Defender obviously is in here again. Yeah. Um, so there are some there are some really interesting things that they've done with that. But I'm always looking for the next monster manual as a DM. There's a lot of cool tips and and tricks and things that you can do. A lot of hints and some guide in this. There's not a whole lot that I didn't already know. That uh, yeah, okay, that's fair. So let's so let me break this down to you. If we separate it up into into four sections, like they do in the, in the table of contents, we've got character options. Sure, okay, that's, yeah, whatever. Sure, um, group patrons, which was in Eberron, is solid. I kind of already was doing that when I was thinking about campaign builder. Yeah. And with my experience as a DM, yes. It's nice that it's codified. It's nice that it's codified. There are a couple things in there that, oh, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I wasn't yearning. You're for not going to get a lot of value out of that, no. New spells, sure, why not? New magic items, sure, why not? Personalizing spells, <laughs> I was doing that shit anyway. Yeah. Right. Anybody that's played enough of this will magical tattoos is fun and people will like that i like the new summon like the new summoning rules and whatnot of how these creatures come out and they're customized yeah it makes a lot of sense is a game changer in my mind as a dm yep right um this also puts this book puts the artificer in forgotten realms which is nice cool yeah um but then when it comes to the dm tools session zero we've already been all over sidekicks brilliant beautiful fucking love the sidekicks Parlaying with monsters is fun, but a D4 table just didn't seem deep enough. It needs to be a D6, I'd say. Oh, shit. Or maybe even, even a D8. Yeah, I mean, how many times are you going to run into a manticore in, in your... D- and you have a 25% chance of hitting the thing that you hit last time? Well, it's, I, I I just... It's I it's use so it varied. They have it for every, yes, use it for inspiration. I, I like it just because how often are you going to hit a manticore, right? Just like you said. So you hit a manticore once every 20 sessions... It won't matter if you get fresh meat one day, fresh meat the next day. Right. So then that brings me to my supernatural regions, magical phenomena, and natural hazards. All the environmental shit that I got so excited about. It's still only 20 pages of content. This could have been a PDF. Uh, It could have been. I'm glad it wasn't. I don't like when they release the PDFs, um, but I I love it. And it is worth the wait. It is worth the price of the book for me. 
Um, but it just feels like I, like I wanted more out of it, right? Um, and then when it comes to the puzzles, in the end, I always try to just... I mean, I like homebrewing my own thing. I'll use it for inspiration again. Yep. Uh, as a DM who's been playing for a long time and has put a lot of puzzles in front of my players, um, it is nice to have a fresh uh, reservoir of inspiration to pull from. Yeah, and frankly, this book, as much as I'm like, I'm kind of complaining about it now. As much as, as excited as I am, I'm yeah, kind of like it's it's good, but um, this is us looking for issues with the book. I think both of us well, enjoy the book quite a lot. I do enjoy the book a lot, but I enjoy the book because we don't have a DMG two yet. We don't have anything like it, right? And the Dungeon Master's Guide, honestly, is the last thing that I buy as a Dungeon Master. I need to pick up all of the spells and shit out of the player's handbook. Yeah. I've got to pick up the monster manual in order to run stat blocks. And then I need to pick up the module in order to run the story. I don't need the DMG. As a matter of fact, I didn't own the Dungeon Master's Guide. I think it was the eighth book that I bought when I was DMing. Right? So this, however, for me, this is almost more important than the DMG to me. Because when you look at what's actually in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and one of these days we'll do a breakdown of the legend lore of what's in the DMG. But what I was finding in there was massive lists of magic items. Yeah. That's not a Dungeon Master's guide. That's a Dungeon Master's helping hand. Like that's yeah. I, like that it's an index, right? I didn't want that. I wanted teach me how to be a DM. What are the different locations? Show me the the different regions. They should have all this forgotten realm shit in there or not and and not have the uh like, they touched on each one of the planes for two paragraphs, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then they gave us Sword Coast. The DMG was weak. I got more out of 20 pages of this, plus the group patrons, which now, is a, another a, 20 A lot pages. of that is because the DMG just takes another uh, viewpoint from the information presented inside of the player's handbook. And if you have one of the two, you're going to be able to be able to run the game just fine. Right? And if you've got the player's handbook for spells anyways... That's going to be where your resources and how to run the game. I would way. hazard to say that if you only have the DMG, you cannot run D and D. Well, you can't run Fifth Edition without oh, uh, the definitely, handbook. definitely not. You can't, and I mean, you can run the game without a DMG. You're yeah. completely right. There's a section, there's a chapter in the player's handbook called "Running the Game." Yeah, right. There we go. That does it for you, right? Um, so, so with the DMG being so lackluster, taking it back to Tash's Cauldron of Everything. This is the amount of flavor, the amount of um, in-depth uh, inspiration that I wanted to see all along, and I'm finally fucking getting it. I got 40 pages overall, and then I got a bunch more magic items and a bunch more spells and a bunch more sub. Well, you needed something for the forever players as well. Well, and most people are forever players, but I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, as a dungeon master... I would buy this before the DMG. That's a, that's a hot take. I, I would. What is in the DMG that I need that this doesn't provide? Uh, magic items. It's in here. Not as many. So? Like, so, and the basic rules for magic items. And keep, like, keep in mind as well that magic items are a plus one item. You get one magic item per tier. How how badly do you need magic items? You get, you get plus one, plus two, plus three. I... I, I I honestly, I would not say that this book is more important than the DMG. The DMG gives a lot of foundational stuff that will help a budding... Uh, oh, for a new dungeon master? For a master? budding new dungeon master? The DMG is yes. solid. I'm talking about an experienced DM As an experienced that's... DM who's run 
uh, who's run other editions up until this point. Yeah, or other role-playing games. Or other role-playing games. This is going to give you more of the D&D flavor that you're looking for. After you've read the player's handbook. Yes, 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 yes. yes. This, I, I could see where you're coming from. I do disagree. I think that DMG still offers more in terms of in terms of world building and running the sessions and stuff like that that are even helpful to a veteran dungeon master. That being said, this is a close third, right? I mean, you could need the monster manual too, so I guess it's a close fourth. In terms of outside of the core three books, this would be one of the first ones I pick up. As a as a DM. As as a person who enjoys Dungeons and Dragons, fifth edition. This one, they I I honestly think they hit the ball out of the park with this book. Um I might get Xanathars before this book. Yeah. Right? I can see that. As someone who never gets to play, I would pick this up before Xanathars. But Xanathar, I think the classes are they seem better balanced and they seem more consistent with Forgotten Realms. And and this one does bring in the concept of sorry, this one I'm holding Xanathars in my head uh in my hand audio medium. Um this one does bring in the concept of common magic items. It does bring in um the concept of and details of further pantheons and and stuff that I enjoy to play with as a DM. So that's why I I would pick up Xanathar's first. But I mean, Tashes is now that it's released closely after. I think they did very well with Tashes. I really like this. Again, the fact that it comes in at under two hundred pages makes it makes it a good read. Yeah, uh, it makes it not laborious. Okay, right. It's too light for me. You're the exact opposite on this. I want a 300 page book because that what like you look at Rising from the Last War, you look at um, Rise of the or Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. These books are thick; they're full of flavor. There's something on every page, right? This book has a lot of flavor, but I'm missing shit out of it. The DM section feels light, right? I said a, a few minutes ago that it's like oh, it's half and half, but as I'm sitting here looking at it, it fucking isn't. The player options. Or it says character options, sure, they only go up to page 80. But then you get group patrons, spells, magic items, personalizing spells. That goes up to page 138 out of 190. That's two-thirds. All of that is for players. And while DMs should be familiar with this stuff, and group patrons in particular are useful for a DM, your Dungeon Master's tools at the end are light. And frankly, as someone with experience, I know half of this shit already. Yeah. I just like to see your take on it wizards right like i want to see what wizards of the coast has to offer so things like um differentiating between supernatural regions and magical phenomenon fantastic i like that they did that um it makes me think a little bit more about uh strange weird environmental issues that'll pop up but did i really need it this way like i like to see their examples what else do you have for me where is my fucking underwater shit where is my fly mechanic? Uh, yeah, Where is that my... makes sense. I mean, it's in Ghost of Saltmarsh. It is, but if you're reprinting shit all over the place, why anyway, not print that here? Right, yeah. and so, but again, it's not a Dungeon Master's Guide too. It isn't. It just, I just wanted it to be so fucking badly, <laughs> and it and it gave me just a hint of it. Okay. So this is worth buying. It absolutely is. I can't say that for every every publication. There's some, there's some that I'm just like, what's the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, we're looking at you, especially now that this is out. Especially now that this is out. There's still going to be a couple of things in there. Um, For example, we're still not getting any Forgotten Realms flavor in this book. Not really. I mean, that's my gripe about this book. In terms of setting, um, there's nothing. It's not a setting book, but... Then again, it doesn't. It it didn't pretend to be, but 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 Xanath. Uh, uh, sorry, Volos. 
gives you breakdowns of some monsters. It gives you a little bit of setting. Mordenkainen's, who's part of the same Council of Eight or whatever the frig they're called. Circle of Eight. Circle of Eight as Tasha gives you a bunch of details into monsters and their cultures and, and stuff and like that. And the blood war and yeah. elves versus drow and whatnot. Why couldn't you have some of that with Tasha's? Especially right? when you're less than 200 pages. Yeah. Give me shit about the Circle of Eight. There's nothing in 5th edition about them. Other than brief mentions about how arrogant they are by Tasha. Yeah. Frankly, at this point, I want to see lore books coming out. Yeah. Stop just giving me new subclasses. And I know that everybody online is sitting there beating their meat to the fact that there's, oh, there's a brand new artificer subclass. And yes, I want that shit too. But... I want lore before I want another subclass option. Pretty much. I I want them to take a serious hard look at backgrounds and giving us more options for utilizing a background in a campaign. I want stuff like that. Um, I could see why it's not here. Yep. But I think that's where we need to see... that look next. That is my personal personal wish list, and shouldn't detract from what this book is, what it offers. What it offers is solid, and everything that it promises, it pays off with. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a different kind of book. That is always going to be my complaint. Uh, is that I, I think that Wizards of the Coast is uh, juggling too many different things all at once. The fact that we get one uh, adventure path. One of these additional, um, like, of everything or guide yep. to whatever. Um, and then one campaign setting a year means that we wait a full fucking year for the next one of these kind of books to come out. That's not fast enough for me. <laughs> um, and it's not fast enough for most people, as, as I understand it. So, Dan, let's, uh, let's wrap this very long episode up. What grade do you give this? Do we want to roll for it? Sure, let's roll. I got a 13. I got a 10. So what grade do you give this and do you recommend people buy it? As a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, someone who has played this game for many, many years, I would say that I would rate this book A-. minus. They set out what they wanted to do very, very well, um, but there is some things lacking and it's almost entirely lore around Tasha. But that's because I'm a lore nerd. Okay. Um, do I recommend people buy this? I mean, after the core set, which are requirement, which are like required to play. Well, two of the three of them are. Two of the three of them are. Um, yes, pick this up. Maybe not before Xanathar's, but I mean, this is going to give you more subclass options than Xanathar's does. True. And it also gives you the artificer. Yep. So probably I would pick Tasha's up before Xanathar's. It, it's tight. Depends on if I'm running that group or not. If you're coming in 5e as an experienced DM of a group who's established and you are now starting 5e and you are going to run, pick up Tasha's first. If you're if you're a player in that group, pick if, up Santa If you are first. sitting here trying to listen to these to these episodes to be like, oh, what do I buy my boyfriend for Xanathar's first? Xanathar's first, yeah. Okay. Um, honestly, you are far too generous. I gave this a solid B. Okay. Um, and my reasoning for that is that what it gives me is great. It just isn't enough. Um, at less than 200 pages for the same sticker price as I'm paying for Eberron, which is just a shit ton of pages, mm-hmm. right? With packed full of content. This is, it's just too expensive for, for what I'm spending the money on. That's fair. Um, I have to say that 
I, I own this now, so it's easy for me to say that. Otherwise, I'd be frothing at the fucking mouth to get my hands on it. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I don't care about subclasses. I really don't. So when it eats up a third of the book, it makes it less important to me. But everything else in here, I want to read all these summoning spells inside and out. But I'm afraid that they're all the same. It's going to be copy and paste. Just different flavor. Yeah. Yep. And so how many pages of summoning spells did we get? And I feel like we did get a lot of, yes, this is the book you get when you want to summon. Yes, this is the book that you get when you want some psionic subclasses. Yes, this is the book that you get when you want to know about group patrons or sidekicks. When you're fleshing out your party's motivation, and it really does that well, right, in this book, this is solid. A B is still good. It is above average. Well, C's get degrees. Yeah. You college students out there, understand, C's get degrees. So... I'm a big fan of this book. From a flavor standpoint, it's an A+. I love Tasha's From little... From a flavor standpoint, it's an A+, to you. Oh, yeah. Tasha's little little comments all the way through it. But it doesn't detail who Tasha is. It doesn't give you any sort of the flavor around who Tasha is other than being able to determine her attitude and her wittiness. That's why it's flavor, not lore. Flavor is an A+. Right? And and lore is... I mean, there's almost nothing in there yeah. about lore. Right. And it wasn't trying to be full of lore. It was giving you tools to build your own environments and your own uh, party structures and whatnot. And for that, yeah, it does a great job. It's, it's a really solid outing. What? I'm not, I would not buy this before Xanathars. No. No. In my head, you buy the player's handbook, the monster manual, Xanathars, and now this. Probably Volos in the mix. I'd pick, about up, this. I'd pick up Mordekainen's before Volos, but that's a separate discussion. That is a separate discussion. Uh, my comment is that Volos has low-level monsters. Mordekainen has high-level monsters. Uh, yeah. Okay. So as a DM, I'd pick up Volos first. So, But honestly, the thing that, that I hate in this book is that crazy customizing your character shit right from the very beginning. You can sub this part of this subclass in for that part of that subclass. I'm not into that, man. Just... Just, Pick one and stay with it. Yeah, fucking play the character that's outlined. We don't need to be able to hack and recode every fucking aspect of the game. Otherwise, what's the point of having limitations? Well, you see things where they will balance a powerful uh, third level ability with a subpar sixth level ability. And they'll do that with a, um, you know, a page before a weak third level ability and a powerful sixth level ability yeah and so you have two different subclasses they each one kicks off at different speeds and different times yeah based on whether or not they're combat or exploration now you can pick and choose and do it the way you want to do it everyone is a fucking god and i know that the that the players are supposed to win i know that this is a storytelling thing where we all feel like heroes in the end and it's fantastic and it's great but there's no challenge if you're always guaranteed a nat 20. Yeah. So I really need to dig deeper into the subclasses, especially the um, the way that you can customize your characters. And I'm fairly certain we've had some things wrong as well. Well, we did a quick glance at this. We'll dig into that as we go through the other um, class episodes and whatnot. Yeah. But, man, I, I do love this book. The art in it is phenomenal. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is uh, witty. It's fun. They seem everything they want to explain, they explain well. Mm -hmm. Everything they don't want to explain, they don't even fucking bother. So, what it does, it this book min maxed itself, <laughs> and I can't really complain about that. But now that I know what it is, it shouldn't be called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything because it's not of everything, right? 
It just isn't. It's Tasha's uh, Cauldron of... Some stuff. Uh, some of customizing. That's what this is. This is the book for customizing. And that's not a bad thing. And I think it's coming out at the right time in 5th edition's lifespan. Yep. I've, I've, I have friends who don't like 5th edition because it's not customizable. Um, to the extent that they like, uh, this answers that. And I mean, if you look at the broader spectrum of uh, fantasy-based tabletop role-playing games as well, you know that Pathfinder 2 just came out and nothing's more customizable than Pathfinder 2. And then they followed up with this. Yeah, let me say this. If I was into customizing, if I was a, a player that was looking to min-max, this would get an A. A minus, right? Like, like I, I'm, I'm digging there. But for my style of play, I'm not interested in this. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, or at least not for that, that customizable standpoint. Um, I gotta say though, fuck, do I want to play with those sidekicks? Oh yeah, right. Holy shit, does that blow it open? I never play as a player. I'm super interested in it, in it as it now. Like steel defender plus a sidekick plus I can cross. Or I can multi-class into Ranger and pick up my Beast Companion. Plus, uh, like, I'll pick up some Beastmaster. Now I'm summoning shit as well. This is Tasha's cauldron of becoming the fucking general on the battlefield. <laughs> Tasha's cauldron of delaying the game. Of, of action economy. <laughs> and so, like, but again, customizable. And and it's a lot of fun. And yeah. I'm, I, again, buy this book. It is worth it. This is not what, this is not even the bottom half of, of it. Uh, a B is above average. I just don't give everything an A. And so far, that's all you've done, Dan. We've it, only done two of these, Adam. That's that's very true. So that's it for this episode on Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast. Make sure to check out more Legend Lore episodes as we cover new releases, as they happen, as well as some of the previously published 5th edition books. Now that we've promised that, we should probably start fucking doing that. Yep. Is it another beer o'clock before we really get started? Yes, it is. Okay. Oh, beer o'clock. Clink. Clink. Here's to Tasha. Here's to alcoholism. I mean, no. But here's to Tasha. Call it what you want to call it. I'm a fucking alcoholic. Bring it if you really want it. Ain't gonna put no extras on it. Oh. Fuck. If you're listening to this within the first week of April in 2021, then I guess you have seen the social media announcement that I was quitting the podcast, and you have probably read the show notes for this. Uh, and I just want to say, April Fools, I'm not quitting. Of course I'm not quitting. But... I made you click. <laughs>